Hey guys, just a quick note before we begin that the show may contain spoilers and adult language, but that's just because we know how to have a good time. Stick around, you'll be glad you did. You are here for me to enlighten you. You ever act like this again, you're barred for life. It's just violent bass. It's kind of embarrassing. If you know you're lying, then you can forget them. Oh, I get it. It's very clever. <laughs> Hello, peoples, and welcome to Esoterica Cinema, the podcast where we take films from the cinematic multiverse and discuss the hell out of them. My name is Jason Peters, and with me, as always, is the man who replaced all of his natural teeth with gold teeth, Mr. Ryan Siebold. What's up, Jason? How's it going, buddy? It's going pretty well. It's going pretty well. Uh, I must say, though, you know, I don't think that uh, I would do as well at, say, like, a, you know, a hip-hop concert or something as you. Uh, I'm still sitting here with my natural pearly whites, and you have got this beautiful, polished, sparkling golden grill. Yeah, Tell man. us all about that. Oh, yeah. It's summertime. You got a grill out in the summertime. That's what I heard. So uh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You don't doing. think that's what they mean when they say summer grilling, do you? Oh, I, I thought it was. Was it not that? I uh, well, could have. Oh, no. I mean, I, I, okay, here's the thing. First of all, we do have to take a step back. There is always a possibility that there's a regional dialect thing here going on. But my my understanding is it always referred to, like, grilling meats. Okay. Yeah. This is the first I'm hearing about this. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. This is terrible because I spent a lot of time and money. This is a very painful process. <laughs> Getting all my uh, fronts removed and replaced with veneers uh, as as with this gold thing. Oh, hold, uh, hang on just a second. Hold on. Let me. Are you telling me you've never been invited to a a, a, ba- a barbecue grill just, at anybody's yeah. house? Oh, I got been invited to a grill. Uh, I'm I'm here to tell you that I was sold a bill of goods. I got my okay. I got <laughs> I just brought my dentist in my uh, my my oral surgeon. Um, everybody, welcome to the show, my oral surgeon, Wyndham Jennings. Hey! Wyndham, thanks for coming in. Hey, what's up, everybody? Wyndham. Yes. My man, you sold me these gold <laughs> teeth, the summer grilling thing. I thought that that's what this was about. Uh, but, apparently, but, Jason says that I'm an asshole. Uh, what's going <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, whether you're an asshole or not has nothing to do with your teeth. Uh, <laughs> uh, <so. laughs> Boy, have I been told that before. <laughs> That is the nineteenth time I've been told that this week. <laughs> yeah, I like. Like, I just, I just needed the money. I mean, my my own teeth, uh, my, you know, aren't mine originally. They were sold to me by my grandfather on his deathbed. So, oh, wow, wow, <laughs> that's Dude, awesome. I, I also love that your grandfather was such a hustler that he straight sold them to you. Like, a, he's your grandpa. B, he's moving on, but he's like, nah, dude, I got to make that dollar. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, you know, these are Weber brand. I thought that that was the, 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 the brand to go with uh, for my teeth. Um, yeah, very, very strange uh, situation now that I'm caught in. But I think I look good. Jason, oh, you can. Yeah, you yeah, yeah we're on sure. Zoom. You guys, I mean, you like the fronts, right? It's pretty Yeah. It's a, it, it, it keeps like blinding me. It's a little bright. You've got like that light that's hitting it. And it's reflecting right in. But other than that, dude, no, they're money. And also you enunciate surprisingly well for someone with metal teeth. They're very heavy. You'd be shocked <laughs> at how heavy my face is right now. It's like, yeah, that's, it looks like that's Jaws from, uh, from, 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 uh, 
What is it? A double oh seven? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Correct. Yeah. Moonraker. Dolls. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rich, what was that? Richard Keel? If I remember the actor's name right. I think so. I think so. Good I on you for remembering that. Yeah. I, um, I will say, I'm. Uh, you might say I'm putting on the show for the summer. <laughs> hey, hey. hey, I wonder if that has anything to do with uh, today's episode. We'll actually find out real quick before that. Uh, Wyndham, I, I do want to. So Wyndham Jennings is our guest today. Uh, just taking a step back from the nonsense. Uh, he's from a show called Celluloid Fever Dreams, which is a great show. And specifically what I love about it and what I love about him is that he, much like us, is really out there trying to bring attention to some of history's lesser known films, right? We all know plenty of shows where we can hear about all the 90s blockbusters and all of the most revered cinema throughout time, right? And and, and we love those films as much as the next people, but the fact of the matter is cinema is this wide-ranging buffet, and we're the ones who want to just bring you some weird, crazy fusion dish that you would never try on your own. And so, uh, Wyndham, why don't you tell the people a little bit uh, about your show, where they can find it? Uh, well, like you said, it's Celluloid Fever Dreams. And, uh, yeah, I, I just fi- try to go out and I try to find the movies that kind of slip through the cracks. Not the cult classics, but the ones that just sh- sort of fell short of being a cult classic. And, and uh, you know, films that just, to me, deserve a little bit more respect. And, and that's why I try to bring them to, uh, to everybody's attention. I'm not really a review show. I'm a recommendation show. Like, I'm that friend that sits mm-hmm. in the corner. It's like, hey, have you seen this film? Or, hey, have you seen that film? And, uh, yeah, you can find me on uh, Anchor, uh, Apple, Good Pods, uh, yeah, just, just about anywhere. Uh, you can download pod- Wherever you get this podcast from, I'm probably on that one as well. <laughs> <laughs> nice, man. Nice. Cool. Well, with that being said, I believe we can go ahead and kick over to our buddy Ryan for a description of today's movie. Uh, by the way, l- listen to his show, but but don't go to him for or, uh, new teeth or any oral surgery. <laughs> I'm just just now finding out that my oral surgeon's actually a podcast host. Not cool, bro. Not cool. Today's film is <laughs> from director Mitch Jenkins and writer Alan Moore, most notably, uh, called The Show from 2020. This was brought to our attention by our guest today. Thank you very much for the recommendation. I actually really enjoyed this. Uh, the show is summarized on Google as... A man's search for a stolen artifact leads him to the haunted town filmed with voodoo gangsters, masked adventurers, depression era private eyes, which, by the way, are my favorite part of this movie, and violent cheerscrew women. Uh, that's all it says. So um, I tried looking for uh, a better <laughs> summary of this, and um, it's pretty underground. Oh, it's good. Yeah, it's pretty underground. It, not a lot is known. We, uh, Jason and I, I think I, I could speak for you as well, Jason, yeah. that we had no idea this movie existed None. before uh, our buddy Wyndham brought this to our attention. Uh, he posted something along the lines of, uh, hey, anybody seen this? And we're like, we'll watch it with you. So the rest is history, <laughs> or it soon will be. Yeah, I didn't know it existed either. Like I said, I, was, I think I was on Reddit, and, yeah. and somebody suggested it, and I'm like, Wait, Alan Moore wrote a movie? The guy who hates every film adaptation right. of his work so far wrote a movie? <laughs> Such oh, a cantankerous man. bastard, man. I love his work, but he's just one of those people where it's like, oh, oh yeah. It's a t- yeah. Tough cookie, man. But, this uh, does have uh, some people that you'll see in it that you're like, hey, it's that guy, or hey, it's that girl, but uh, no one that really stands out of, you know, of note. So you just got to kind of roll with it. I I really enjoyed this. The star of the film is, I think, the 12th credited person on IMDb. So if that gives yeah. you uh, any kind of note on, on where we're at on this for budget and so forth, um, a guy <laughs> named Tom Burke started in this. So 
but yeah, a uh, lot to love about this movie, though. I, I actually did enjoy it for what it was. Weird, but enjoyable. Definitely weird, yeah. So, as we say at the top of every show, Jason, what did you think about this movie, buddy? As always, Ryan, I'm going to be happy to go into that right after we play the trailer for the show. I've had some pretty strange dreams. This town at night, you could not make it up. Dreams are serious things. Oh, my God. Like life, people. It's Fletcher Dennis. I followed his trail to Northampton. I'll be staying here until the job's done. How can I help? I'm in town to look up an old mate. I heard he moved here just a week ago. I know that's not much to go on. I'm a bit of a dark horse on the old interweb. Let's see what we can find. This is the detective agency. You don't mind me saying, he looks like a guy with a story. He's dead then. No one knows if he had a near-death experience or not. Near enough, I'd say. What do you remember about the dream? They were these people. Horrible people. He likes to put it about that he does the old black magic. That's why everyone's so afraid of him. We've saved you the best Sure, I'll follow you. We are inside a simulation. In a simulation. In a simulation. Is this real? I don't know anymore. Spirits. The gods. Death is a star. Yeah. We're no closer to unraveling this mystery, are we? All right, so opening shot real quick. We get this interesting God's eye view of Earth and then do a super extreme zoom all the way through down to a close-up of a puddle, making a quick stop along the way uh, in a little cloud that tells us that uh, Alan Moore and Mitch Jenkins are the ones responsible for this film. Did think it was interesting that it was an Alan Moore and Mitch Jenkins film, despite the fact that Moore is just responsible for the screenplay, from what I can tell, and a brief acting uh, stint, but we'll get into that later. That guy can call dibs. He's like, dibs. Yeah, you know, he's, I mean, his, <laughs> right and let's here. be honest, I mean, his name is probably the reason that we're watching this movie, right, at the yep. end of the day. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I have no idea who Mitch Jenkins is prior to this. Tell you that Touché. much. I, yeah, I looked, at, I looked on IMDb, and most of his credits are like the shorts that went along with this film, setting the story up. Yeah, it was like it's like ninety percent of his credits. So, so now, real quick, go into that because uh, that was something that again I wasn't really familiar with either. And I guess he did a short film to set this one up. Yeah, him and uh, Alan Moore actually got together uh, uh, as like a proof of concept. Alan Moore written mm-hmm. the story, and so they did five uh, five shorts featuring uh, like the character of Faith and uh, Jimmy, the guy that. Fletcher Dennis is looking for in Northampton. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and like doing a little bit more about the club that they're in, things like that. Yeah. And uh, he said, he said, you know, once we had all those five done, then we had something to show investors. Uh, you know, this is what we want to do. This is the tone we're looking for, et cetera. Yeah. And, and then and, COVID happened. Yeah. <laughs> and they lost all their money. <laughs> Actually, I didn't see. Does, does anybody know if this film made money or not? Uh, I do not. 
Yeah, yeah I don't know. Want to see. But yeah, so immediately after this shot, though, it's very interesting the way it's set up because, you know, we get this really cool, obviously computer-generated zoom shot. And then after that, uh, we get this juxtaposition sequence where we're going from these super big wide shots of the city and a cab specifically into these extreme close-ups of the person within the cab down to the point of like not even face but just like seeing his jaw in the corner of a briefcase etc etc uh we soon learned that uh our protagonist uh to me i don't know he looked an awful lot like robert smith from the cure i don't know if you guys got the same vibes yeah <laughs> yeah i can say that yeah i i thought he was uh you know kirkland brand robert pattinson to me i saw that as well yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah a little, you could definitely a little see that, that. Even yeah. down to, uh, you know, bold choice uh, going for an actor with a hair lip. You don't really see that too often. Not since the days of no. Stacy Keach have they uh, hung their hat <laughs> yeah. on a leading man with a hair lip. So props to them. Stacy Keach, deep cut. Love it. <laughs> I did watch. Have you guys ever seen a movie called The Ninth Configuration, by the way? No. Oh, it's. Uh, I know I- the title, but I, I can't remember if I've actually seen it or not. Yeah, it's a it's the William Peter Blatty, and it's the book that he did after The Exorcist, and I guess that got him the creed to be able to direct it. And it's god awful. Like it is. I've seen. I can't remember the last time I saw a movie that had so little reason for existing. Like it was, <laughs> it was take like the madhouse scenes from like Twelve Monkeys. Yeah. Extrapolate it to ninety minutes, and then offer nothing else. Like <laughs> it was. It was. No. A lot. It was a lot. And it's at first, you know, it was just like these people saying these insane things and it's kind of funny. And then an hour into it, you're like, this is just nonsense. It's fucking nonsense. Would somebody please give me something to hang the hat on? Anyways. (laughs) God God Monster of Indian Flats. I had the same reaction. I'm like, we're we're an hour into it. Are we going to show the monster from the title at any point during this film? (laughs) Yeah, man. There's There's a reason. And I'm sure you find the same thing right like a lot of these are hidden gems and some of them hey there's a reason people don't know about them right yeah yeah <laughs> so now i, I will ask- say uh our first recognizable face comes in this first scene with roger ashton griffiths the cabbie oh yeah um, that yeah. was someone i noticed right away uh from game of thrones and several other things i was like hey it's that guy and uh i, I absolutely loved that the uh uh, the, the the name of the, the cab service was Ah Cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just all A's, so they're first in the phone book. <laughs> nice dude. Yeah. Uh, I, I loved what his air freshener was, considering uh, the character we meet later on in Faith. Oh, I guess ha- yeah, his, ca- his his air freshener is a, a person hanging from a noose. Oh, oh wow. that's okay. Those are air fresheners. Yeah, because they cut to that a couple times, and I didn't know that because I think later on there's another cabbie that has one of those. Yeah. Um, and, uh, oh, okay. I didn't get that's what that was. Honestly, I'm probably going to say that more often than I'd like to. Yeah. This where it's like, I'm, you know absolutely. what? I didn't quite 100% understand what that meant. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, the only reason I caught it is, uh, like, I've, I've seen the movie twice. So going through a second time, I'm like, oh, oh, that's kind of mean. That's kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you were doing there. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Now, so there's kind of one thing, uh, Widom, I'd like to go ahead and go to you on this one first. So for me, there was um, a lot about the first five minutes that kind of set up the film that was to follow. And I was just wondering if there was anything that sort of you came across with in terms of some of the either the visual language or the plot or the setting or, you know, how effective you thought those first few minutes were in setting up the film that would come later. I don't know. Given... What happens later on in the film, how, how um, 
Oh, Lord, English is, is such a hard thing. Uh, given how mystical it's, it gets and how big some of the plot points become towards the end of the film, I, I really do think the opening where we start big and go down, like you said, to the puddle uh, really does set it up because it seems like from that point we're pulling back farther and farther and getting far, you know, farther away from the real world and more into the metaphysical, I love that. The bigger themes. Yeah. So, so yeah, I really liked it, and and the sort of the teasing of information, like, like I said, the extreme close up where you just see part of a jaw or a suitcase. It's like we're not getting the whole picture right from the get go. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I like I like the opening, uh, you know, for for those reasons. I agree. How about you, Ryan? Anything you picked up on? Um, uh, yeah, I didn't really know. I was along for the ride. So uh, you know, in all, um, full disclosure, I. I didn't know anything about this movie going in. I did not even watch a trailer for this movie going in. Um, (laughs) I uh, was recommended this and, and, you know, Jason asked if I wanted to come on board for this show and, and uh, for this, uh, you know, because some of these uh, off season things uh, I can make and some I can't, uh, but I uh, know I love Alan Moore and I wanted to be all in for this. So I just kind of went in blind. And so I didn't know what I was walking into and it was very confusing. I will also say that, um, uh, I ended up putting subtitles on just because some oh, of the yeah. slang was so thick. Uh, <laughs> and so I had the same problem with uh, Robert Eggers, the, the witch. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of, like, oh yeah. Uh, I think I, I called it at one point um, a pilgrim slang yeah. or, or pil- yeah. pilgrim accents. Pilgrim accents. That's how yeah, you they had pilgrim it. accents. So so. Like, hey, what am I in for? And you're like, well, get ready for pilgrim accents. And I'm like, what yeah, are pilgrim accents? Of... Like, You'll know when you hear it. And afterwards yeah. I was like, hey, yeah, those were some pilgrim accents for sure. Those were some pilgrim oh, yeah. accents. Yeah. Can't hard. Yeah, I don't know how to say it otherwise. Victorian era shit, I don't know. But uh, this this was thick, heavy, you know, British accents and, and dialogue and slang. The the verbiage I could understand, but some of the references they were making were, or the, the slang that they were using or, or whatnot uh, kind of was going over my head so uh i backed it up put the uh subtitles on i uh i will also add that um this movie from the jump was moving so fast and throwing so much nonsense at you uh that i started taking notes watching the film and i had to start pausing it when i would look down to write stuff because i would look down for five seconds write a sentence look back up and i would i had no idea what was going on from there like <laughs> it would lose you fast so yeah. you kind of got to oh, yeah, yeah. pay attention and go along for the ride so well i'm glad that you brought that up too because i kind of thought the same thing and i thought that it was very interesting because it starts out with this sort of very breakneck pace where it's just throwing all this shit at you but then as the film progresses it's getting slower and i think that ties into what you just said Wyndham, where it's you know oftentimes we get I think what Moore did is he sort of inverted the pacing and the structure, right? So normally we start wide and then we get closer and closer and closer as the film progresses. With this one, to your point about those opening shots, I think we actually start super close and then we get more detached and, you know, we sort of pull away from character a little bit as the film goes, uh, progresses. And I think that we can see that by the way that they both sort of lean into a lot of the noir tropes as well as play against them, you know? And I think to me, that's what that Mm -hmm. juxtaposition represents is it's like, okay, you know, we're going to go full in on like a lot of these noir tropes, right? Like down to, you know, we're going to introduce this detective agency and then we're just going to go way far away from convention and we're going to make them kids in some backyard, right? So there's a lot of stuff that it did like that where, um, you know, it's literally two kids in a trench coat. Uh, my yeah. favorite part of the film, hands down. <laughs> that I old love gag that so much. 
I cannot wait to get to that part of the I film. Wanted to, I wanted to see them like walk up and try to get into a dirty movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, that's usually why you're busting that uh, grift. Um, also, Ryan, I totally thought of you because, yeah, so we're in the middle of our sci-fi uh, month. We're calling it sci-fi. So it's just, you know, we always like excuses to do things. We wanted to do a bunch of sci-fi stuff, do some anime that we hadn't got into. So Ryan just did 12 Monkeys. And the moment that I saw like 18 Dutch angles in as many minutes, I oh was like, oh, God. dude, Ryan's visual language is probably so skewed right now. Dude. Coming off Terry Gilliam and now this. Yeah, I think I texted you right after I finished watching this film. And it was like to go from, uh, you know, 12 monkeys and then everything everywhere all at once. And this film back to back to back within just a couple days uh, was, yeah, I need to like ground myself in some level of reality moving yeah. forward here. I need to watch like some, you know, uh, Hal Ashby drama or something like that to kind of like get me back. <laughs> yeah, ground you again. in reality. But, but um, yeah, he's like, why don't we just do some Jodorowsky while we're at it? Just really embrace all this. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Next <laughs> week holy mountain let's do it um yeah so th this dp uh that was uh, you want to ask me what my takeaway was in high level in the first five minutes this dp was shooting his ass off and it never slowed down like there was always something interesting to look at on screen it was always lit interesting it was never too gratuitous there was um there was never a moment where it like took me out of it, but yeah, there certainly were Dutch angles. There was elevated Dutch angles, like on a jib or mounted up high, looking down, uh, almost like surveillance cameras or security cameras. In fact, he actually used security camera or surveillance camera footage throughout the the film itself. Uh, there's this long dolly shot that pushes in uh, yeah, when he's in the cool. library like to open the film up. Um, uh, uh, overhead camera spins. There's a lot to kind of disorient you and and. Really, let it really lets you know through the visuals of the work, uh, you know what you're in store for for the rest of the film, and um, you know it's kind of like the uh, the old childhood game, or you know uh, where they put the blindfold on you and spin you around a bunch, whether it's pinata or pin the tail on the donkey or anything. Like I kind of felt like I, I had a blindfold on and they spun me around a whole bunch and then set me loose to watch the rest of this film, and I was like, whoa, okay, <laughs> what what's going on now? <laughs> Why? Uh, you know, you're talking about cinematography. I I do love that. And I guess it'd be cinematography and, and whoever responsible for set dressing that, like you said, there's always something interesting. And like Alan Moore's comics, like every shot is so information dense. Yeah. Sure. Like, you know, there's, there's like, you know, flyers that have jokes in them. There's, yeah. you know, notices, graffiti, just all these things that, uh, you know, you know, add to the film. Yeah, there's like the whole thing with the with the video game that they kind of talk about a yeah. little bit, and uh, yeah, you'll see the headlines, or it'll just come across in a throwaway comment from someone getting out of cab or a cabbie or whatever, and and yeah. and you know, and those decisions do kind of make the world feel much more lived in, you know, when you have elements of those. I think the only potential downside is sometimes like there may be something that the audience really responds to, you know, and you're like, oh, I want to know more about that. I wish it wasn't just like glossed over as a background thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I was, am I the only one who was confused why he went to a library to look for somebody? Is that just like a British thing or because because I'm like, why is he going asking a librarian where this guy lives? Yeah, I don't I think it was because was it was that where like the phone book was or something or there was records online or something he was looking for? 
Yeah, I, I just assumed that they had like, uh, you know, they have the microfiche, uh, you know, the records and stuff. That's always kind of like a movie trope that I, I've never done myself. I don't know if this really exists, but I've seen it happen in movies where I know, right? you, you need to go find stuff. <laughs> go, go to the library, ask for the microfiche, and they got you. Uh, the, and by the, the way, old system with the knob and shit like that. Like my library doesn't have <laughs> right. that. I've looked. I've looked. Believe right. me. Yeah, yeah. They got some computers I can use for free, but and, you know, more power to them. But yeah, by the way, most helpful library of all time uh very little information <laughs> given i need to find this one gentleman uh i got you fam sit down clickety clack my way through it enhance expand enhance you know it's all like csi <laughs> csi yeah yeah the guy was all about it so <laughs> <laughs> and alan moore who who keeps talking about how much he hates superheroes sneaks a superhero into his once first again film. yeah and uh i'm gonna see if you guys have a, a theory on that because that's a that's another piece of information that kind of lost me here. So yeah, moving forward thing. though, real, real quick, we'll, we'll get to that in here in just a minute. Um, when we get back to the narrative, so, you know, it starts out where even before the library, I think the guy goes, or maybe it's immediately after he goes to the hospital and he meets this worker who's showing him around kind of looked a little bit like a, uh, like a, like a, I don't know, like an aging rockabilly rocker to me or something yeah. like that. But um, that's kind of where we're also introduced to another element of the visual language that's going to be very persistent throughout this entire thing. And that's the heavy use of colored gels that are often not even going to be necessarily motivated, at least not by any sort of like diegetic lighting or anything like that. See, if you thought about me watching Dutch angles, Jason, I thought about you about these (laughs) colored gels, buddy. I saw all these colored, all this colored lighting. And I was like, dude, Jason is just eating this up with a spoon. He's he's getting so much power from this. Yes. Yes. (laughs) There's no reason for magenta, but here we are with magenta. (laughs) He walks from this like matrixy green hallway and, to this vibrant blue room back to back. And I was like, oh, Jason is just so chubbed up right now. He loves this so Not much. Not going to lie. I enjoyed the hell out of it. It was fantastic. Good I can't, I mean, I can't justify it. Like if you were like, that's completely unjustified lighting and it's heavy as shit. I'd be like, you're correct. I have nothing to defend <laughs> myself against sir or madam. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so this and, dude that shot this, uh, you know, he hasn't really done a lot as a, you could tell he's like working his way up and he just wanted a DP credit because uh, he's done A-cam, B-cam focus pulling on like huge, huge blockbusters. Like mm. not necessarily good ones, but uh, Assassin's Creed, Macbeth, Fury, um, all the way down to like uh, Zero Dark Thirty, uh, nice. which I believe oh. won an Oscar and, and yeah. the Eagle, stuff like that. So uh, Four Lions, which uh, I've heard is a great film. We have that so, on our list. Um, yeah, so he's done, you know, B-cam, second unit, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And I think he just wanted to take that elevated step up. So uh, I'm, I'm only bringing that up because it does look like he's pulling out all the tricks in his fucking <laughs> toolbox. Oh, yeah. yeah. Be like, just throwing everything. At his, this yeah. is his demo reel, more or oh, less. Yeah. Like, come Dude, on, fuckers, time what you to got? Shine. Yeah, no, yeah, it's like, right. yeah, they're giving him the stage and he is going to put on a show. He's like, no one's going to see this movie, but I could forever use clips from this movie in my demo reel. And each, like, out of context, it all looks so dope. So fuck it. Let's roll. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And then, uh, yeah, so after that, he's wandering around town. He's got to, you know, obviously find a place to stay for a little while. Our protagonist, that is, uh, who is both Steve and Fletcher. And by the way, did we learn that up front? Or was that supposed to be some sort of... Because I think by the time that the the female lead learns it, I had already kind of known that he was. But I don't know exactly when that information came out there. But either way, uh, uh, the I can't think of the superhero's name. I think there's a clip of him like 
face facial recognition, it pops up Fletcher right. Fletcher Dennis yeah. in one of the shots. Yeah, yeah when he was how we how we learn who he really is. I yeah. Agree. Okay, yeah, so, uh, but he's, you know, got to find a place to stay. He knocks on this apartment. This girl opens up. She's, like, sobbing horrifically because this guy apparently just died. And, oh, but hey, you know, that opened up the room, so uh, it's yours if you want it. And also, this, so this character, for me, I I, want to see what you guys thought about this character. It didn't 100% work because I don't really know why she exists. And... She's incredibly thirsty for what I imagine oh, most yeah. people would agree is a fairly unattractive dude. And she's a yeah. very pretty girl. And it's like, so I don't know if this was supposed to be the the film saying like, see, he's a handsome leading man. Even this pretty girl's <laughs> attracted to him. Or like, I don't, or like, I don't know why she was so like just thirsty for him the entire film. And I don't, again, like. She wasn't much of an exposition dump. She didn't really explain a lot that we didn't kind of already know. So, like, what was your guys' take on that character? I, I kind of just seen her as more of, like, a, a comedic foil. Like like you said, she's thirsting for him so heavy. And then, you know, she has the walking tour. She'll info dump just inappropriately at times. And it even not, sometimes it doesn't even have to do with what the plot is. Yeah. So, so random I just, info. Yeah, I, I think it was just that. Just, like, another... Like I said, just like a comedic yeah, so the comic character relief. or something, yeah, hmm. yeah. Both her and the uh, the other guy, the the uh, oh god, what was it, the comedian or whatever, the 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 yeah. vegan guy, the, yeah. yeah, he's which was he like? Did he live there? Was he her brother? I wasn't a hundred percent sure on that relationship. He, he also lives lives there. If okay. I remember correctly, yeah. I know but, when she was introduced, she was chewing up the scenery and overacting her ass off, <laughs> and I thought it was so over the top her performance. But I but then once we got into the film, because that was up until that point, everything kind of played like a little sinister, a little off. And yeah. you kind of like got some like weird um, Twin Peaks Lynch vibes. But, uh, you know, what what is this town we're in? You know, um, uh, even the cabbie saying like uh, what, God, God made the country, but he didn't make the town or something like that. Like yeah. kind of alluding to there's more going on here than meets the eye. Um, but then once we started to peel back the layers of the onion, uh, as I like to say, uh, this character all of a sudden started to fit into the world. So I kind of felt like she was the introduction to the zaniness a little bit, even though um, I forget if we had seen the coroner by this time uh, at the morgue. I think we have. But uh, yeah. either way, this was um, her over the top performance felt a lot more natural uh, as the movie went on. But this introductory scene was like. Uh, you know, uh, an ice bath, just like, whoa, what the fuck is happening right now? Because she is just, like you said, like the deeper I got in, the more her performance felt natural, but the less she felt essential to the plot. Yeah. But in all yeah. fairness, they did kind of rein her back in. Like she didn't have as big of a role in the, the second and third act as she did in the first. I think that uh, mm. she's just kind of our, our intro into the city a little bit, but um, she just kind of shows up here and there to kind of do these little, like, allow uh, allow our character uh, to do these exposition dumps here and there and kind of like think out loud, so to speak, and have someone to bounce ideas off of. But once Faith comes in um, as our femme fatale, so to speak, uh, you know, then, then she kind of goes away, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, I did love, uh, it's just a quick, little scene towards the end where her and faith meet for the only time. Uh, uh, no, uh, uh, when he's getting the information from the detectives, she's like, there's a man in the alley that's been there for, for hours. 
just the look that actress gives yeah. Faith as she's going back <laughs> in, like like I was so like she just wants to punch her yeah. for being with Fletcher. Uh, <laughs> I, like, I like that. I noticed that too. I did like that moment yeah. as well. But, but nice. I, I I just loved it because when she opened the door, my immediate thought was that's one of the Bennett sisters from Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Oh yeah, which is one of my favorite films. Unironically, I just love that film. And so, yeah, just see it, finally seeing her in something else. I'm like, hey, it's her. <laughs> <laughs> the dude uh, from the nightclub, uh, Carnaby. Uh, yeah. Uh, he he was over at, like, there were certain people in here that, uh, and I have this in my notes. I think that that's one of the, the only places I think this movie suffers is, um, I think that by and large, 70% of the actors carry this, you know, because, uh, which amounts to a lot of nonsense, um, yeah. throughout the film or, you know, you're kind of confused. Um, and a lot of the actors take that and, and carry it well, um, and, yeah. and do it justice. But there are every now and then these slapsticky characters like the Carnaby character or, um, uh, Herbert Be- Sherbert, Becky uh, character, that was the Herbert guy that Sherbert, me, right. Yeah. That kind of like pull you out of the film a little bit. And I think if they had been, um, uh, even the faith, uh, the actress that played faith, I think she did a decent enough job, but I do think if that had been like a Naomi Watts or a Laura Dern, I think that this movie actually, you know, this movie is a really good movie. I just think that, you know, there are these brief moments where you could see that it was done on a very tight budget. And, um, and, you know, some of that comes through with some of the actors that they got, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And so what we soon, what we, what we soon learn is that the crux of the noir aspect of this story is going to be that he's looking for this golden cross and he was hired by a gentleman that he speaks to on the phone who, who is encouraging him to you know, find it as quickly as possible, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And like I said, that's when we get the uh, scene that, which by the way, apparently it just in some brief, what I overheard on or happened to see online real quick, uh, we're introduced to these detectives and that does seem to be a large percentage of people's favorite aspect of this movie is these detective characters. Those oh, yeah. kids need yeah. a spinoff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when do they have a show? Are they in any of the shorts at all by chance? No, no, ah. the, no the, the shorts, I, I, I bought the, the DVD, like I said, and the shorts were included on it. So I watched them. I watched the movie and then I watched the shorts. Okay. Yeah, Cause I didn't want, uh, but yeah, the shorts, like the first two are just faith. Like the first one was her choking to death in the closet, and then the second one is her uh, stumbling into the club okay. and meeting uh, was it Match Match Bright for the first time. Got yeah, it. and uh, it, they're much meaner than the final film. I mm. mean, he's just really cruel to her and, and like torturing her. And then the third one is when Jimmy dies and he shows up at the club, so you get to see like where she says, "You know, we dance together at the club." But yeah, it, it just focuses. And then after that one, it's just Jimmy. It's like, what happens to him, I guess, after the film? Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Well, so, w- when he shows up at that uh, woman's house and then she's got like the, uh, the Soundgarden Black Hole Sun kind of smile going yeah. on. <laughs> yes. I, I loved that. And then she sends him to the back. Uh, you know, I, I'm here to see, uh, was it... T- Tim and other Tim. Well, yeah, and she also calls him with like the tin can and the string, like the yes. old school like clubhouse bullshit. Oh, <laughs> I loved it so much. He doesn't have an appointment. She played it so, that little girl that played the secretary or the receptionist. Yeah, uh, played it so straight face and just perfect to the T. I love small that role so took much. advantage. Yeah, <laughs> I want to. I want to the story of the smiling guy with the empty bird cage. That was that was like the next client. Oh like, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm like <laughs> that's right. 
like who who is this guy what is his case right yeah. <laughs> i always now, yeah i found myself like scouring because uh crap the the chick uh at the boarding house even brings up like did you see a sign about pets and like is this something that's gonna pay off <laughs> and i kept like looking at the signs and i saw stuff for like you know, family-friendly racist paintball was like a sign I caught and, and things like that, but nothing else about pets. Yeah. At this That's point, I, w- I was kind of thinking we were involved in some kind of Wicker Man scenario where this town was just yeah. off because yeah. we had the cabbie kind of set up like, you know, like I said, uh, you know, the good Lord made the country, but not the town. And then all of a sudden now you're getting these like weird smiley face people showing up. Um, obviously the the coroner and then uh, the Becky character who he's renting the room from. Uh, everybody seemed like a, just a skew. And so I was like, what's going on in this town that, you know, is this like a cure for wellness situation? We've talked about that film on our <laughs> podcast before. Um, so I was waiting for more to reveal, of a reveal about that that I never got. Turns out it's just Alan Moore. We're just existing in his world. So uh, carry, yeah. carry on, you know. <laughs> I should have known better. Yeah, like, like, the, like the meta comment from uh, Carnaby. He's like, you couldn't make this up. And he stops and goes, no, nah, you can make it up. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And like even when um he goes into the the Tim's uh Tim and other Tim the detective agency's uh uh office, it immediately switches to a uh desaturated black and white, like an old yeah. um you know Humphrey Bogart film or something and uh goes in like it so it just leans all in and they're dressed in the suits uh with the old fedoras and all of that um it's just, it's so perfect. They, you know, for, oh, for yeah. every, for yeah. everyone listening, he walks in to go get answers. He's recommended to go to this detective's office and he, to which he thinks he's walking into an actual office. He's greeted by a, uh, number one, he's in, uh, told to go back to this like treehouse looking fort that's in a backyard. He's greeted by a child receptionist who summons the detectives, um, on a tin can with a string. And then when he walks into their office, the whole scene switches to black and white and it turns into a Bogart film. And, um, and he has this tremendous dialogue, uh, with these two kid detectives, um, that sometimes is done very serious and straight. And then other times they're talking about, uh, the pastries that uh, and biscuits that their mom is cooking uh, <laughs> in the oven in there, what flavor they are, and so yeah. forth. So, well, as a matter of yeah. fact, part of the Fantastic. payment is that uh, I think they're uh, they like energy drinks, right? Energy so that's drinks. Their whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, okay, oh. yeah, we'll do it for you know, uh, well, three hundred dollars a day and uh, an energy drink. Did you bring the energy <laughs> drink? Where is it? Okay, here you go. Okay, here's the funny thing: watching with subtitles on my subtitles on the Blu-ray when he said two ninety nine. Come up to two dollars and ninety nine cents. Yeah, same with mine. That, okay, I that, makes, that, as that well. makes a lot of sense actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I I just assumed it was two ninety nine, but no, because it's kids, it would make sense that it's literally yeah. two dollars and ninety nine cents. <laughs> yeah, because I was like you hearing it, I was like, wow, three hundred dollars. Then two ninety nine and the subtitles are like, oh. Oh, yeah, They're kids. kids. Yeah. Right. I loved it. I so thought, much I loved it. And it's funny because either way, that could work as part of a joke, right? It works as a joke that they're charging $2.99, but it also kind of works as a joke if they just charge like the... Because I figure like $300 a ray is probably the going rate for a decent PI. Yeah, yeah. Right? So they're just like, yeah, we're really good at what we do. We charge $300 a day. And we also require energy drinks. And, you know, yeah. if you have any cookies, that'd be great, too. <laughs> but, but I love what you said earlier, Wyndham, which is like, so as we're starting to go through this film now, um, and, and we're rounding out probably act one somewhere in this uh, part of the show. Um, you're absolutely right, because like, you know, they, they kind of like tease you in the beginning with this askew stuff. And then we're just pulling back little by little. We're pulling back to, um, you know, it, 
the film gets weirder, but it feels also more normal that it is getting weirder, you know? Yeah, and so yeah. um, you just kind of settle in and enjoy the ride. And honestly, I wasn't that impressed with the resolve of the film. The Act 3 resolution, which we'll get to in a bit here, uh, didn't really blow me away, but I yeah. loved the movie just because of the ride it took me on, because of these moments like this. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, you know, even, even on the ending, uh, yeah, it, it, like... Once it hooks you in, it's like you can't look away. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Neither do I want to. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And uh, it's actually interesting that you say that because, like, I think based on what you guys are saying, like, I probably enjoyed it a little bit less than you guys did. But it was kind of one of those things where even when I would find myself kind of, like, falling a little bit out of favor with it, like, it was – there was never a point where I could just, like, turn away from the film. I was just like, there's something about it I got to keep watching, right? Um, I do – think that it could have done uh done itself justice by maybe shaving off 20 minutes it was um, definitely long that was i thought was it was just a little too long um yeah. you know and i don't know where those 20 minutes could have been shaved off maybe like you said maybe the becky character just goes away and that takes a lot of that out and you know gets along to the plot a little quicker um because there's enough nonsense going on in the film that uh, I don't need more like just if it's not pertaining to, you know, taking me anywhere, I don't just need random nonsense yeah. like. Yeah, well, and part of it, too. So, you know, let's uh, the next stage in the film, just getting back to that real quick, is we've got this Elton Carnaby character that you brought up. He's the restaurant manager. He's a little bit all over the place or bar manager, something like that. A little all over the place, but he's also seems to have like a strong memory that our protagonist, Steve, can hopefully get some information from. And he gives him a lead to go back to the hospital, I think, because that's when we're introduced to the Faith character, right? So, and she's introduced where basically he, being Steve, presents her a picture of the guy that he's looking for. I forget what his real name is, but it's Mitchum, something Mitchum. And uh, she, like, starts freaking out and has this, like, oh my god, blah, 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 blah. And then it turns out that she remembered seeing his face in these sort of like dreams that she's having about this club and everything. So uh, we're going to get to that in a second, but I did also want to bring up the character that's introduced right around this time as well. And that is this older superhero gentleman, whatever he is, he puts on this blue mask and he appears to be some sort of superhero, but he's also just on a computer the whole time. And it seems like he is obviously has a lot of power because he can delete surveillance footage and all this sort of stuff. Um, but I will admit that by the end of the film, I had no clue who that character was within the context of the rest of the film. So Wyndham, I'll start with you because you seem like you have a pretty good handle on this story. Uh, can you shed any light on that character to me and anyone else who wasn't sure what was going on there? I, you know, honestly talk about cutting 20 minutes. I feel like I could have cut him. Yeah, uh, because you know, outside of the the you know the scenes we have him in, the only other reference to him in the story is like there's a newspaper headline that says "Hacker brings down drug cartel." So yeah, mm. you know, uh, yeah, I feel like he's the, he's one that we could have cut out because I don't I don't really see the purpose that he serves in the story. You know, other than other than like he could be like Alan Moore's version of. Uh, God, you know, the, the all seeing eye that's judging people and, and whatnot. But even then, it's not really like he serves a purpose to me in the story. Yeah. Well, and even then, I mean, I mean, we can use we can talk about metaphors all day long, but also like I he obviously has he exists in this world to be able to do stuff like delete surveillance footage. So I would also just like to know, like, what 
role he plays because it's not really like there's a there's not like a shadow organization that's really pulling the strings right like it, you'd like to think there he must be some sort of connection to uh what, what what's the names the what are the comedians called that everything kind of hangs on Middleton and Matchbright, right so you'd, you've got to, you've got, you'd like to think there's some sort of connection there because that's kind of what you have, right? Is this, this whole story breaks it down into, into two sort of worlds, if you will, right? The one is like the, the main world that the protagonist exists in and all these characters that we're bringing up and Faith and all of these people. And then there's the, you know, quote unquote dream world that Faith keeps seeing. And that's where, um, you know, the, the, the comedians are and um, all of the different, you know, sort of weird characters that are associated with them and their circuits performance and all of that. So you've got to think that, okay, so if, if those are the two worlds, the superhero exists in one or the other, we see him, you know, making actual tangible differences. So he exists here, but does he have a connection to that world? And is that, is that why he exists? I, I don't know. I didn't come away with it, but I wonder. I, yeah. I'm not sure either. Uh, I think in the credits, he's called the flash Avenger. But I, I don't know. To me, the only thing I can think of, he's he's a, almost like the uh, Batman character Oracle, you know, the the one who, you know, the super hacker that Barbara Gordon was after she got paralyzed. Mm-hmm. But there's like no other heroes for him to give this information to. So it's like, what what purpose does yeah. he really serve? Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was kind of weird, but uh, it looks like it doesn't sound like I'm the only one here. Yeah, <laughs> it, it wouldn't have been you know that hard either to tie him in somehow or show some level of interaction with him in the story unless it was intentional to keep him separate. Um, like you were saying, uh, Wyndham, as far as like being like uh, the, the voice of God, so to speak, the metaphorical, you know, voice of God or, or whatnot, or the author's point of view, you know, kind of looking down on this whole thing and, and switching things around. Um, okay, you know, but it wouldn't, it just one extra step or one extra breadcrumb to tie him in just a skosh would have made that whole thing feel so much more organic and, and given it a bit of a, a living space in the, in the context of the plot. But yeah. because it wasn't there every time we cut away, I mean, there were some uh, exposition dumps, like you were saying, uh, that's when we learned uh, his real name um, yeah. and, and, you know, being Fletcher or whatever. So uh, there were some, you know, th- moments where, but that could have been done a million other ways yeah. to where it didn't yeah. pull me out of it. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned, and you called him voice of God. It took me a second viewing to catch it, but the, the comedians, uh, the one that, uh, one that Alan Moore plays, uh, last name Metatron, that's literally voice of God. Hmm. Oh, interesting. It's a pun. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. And he created, you know, the whole dream world that, that, you know, all the dead are living in. So I'm like, yeah, I watched it the second time, and then I was like, wait a minute. It met a, met a, oh, wait. Oh. Not, <laughs> and that's it. You know, as we start to get into this, we're dealing with the afterlife and, and dead people that are still living and have, like, a purgatory of sorts. And and uh, so, you know, some of these things I just kind of, like, whatever. Like, you know, buy sure. the ticket, ride the ride. You know, Well, Alan, you know, Alan Moore is a practicing magician. He has been for like 30 plus years. Oh, that I did not know. <laughs> I can see yeah. That. I don't know why I have a surprise sound in my voice no, right the reason, now. The reason you sound surprised is because most magicians try to at least feign enjoyment in life. <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to come at you with some high energy like, hey, kids, want to see a trick? And Alan razzle dazzle, like, right. Alan Moore is like, life is pain and death. Here's a bunny rabbit. <laughs> yeah, he, he, uh, he's been a practicing magician, I think, since the... 
early nineties. Wow. Wow. And, uh, uh, he worships, uh, Oh God, what was in the interview? He worships a, a Roman God whose name I can't remember. Because of cult- course he does. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause he's Alan Moore and he can. Yep. He's not, he's not Alan less. <laughs> yeah. But the, uh, yeah, but, but he says like the Roman cult turned out to be a fake. It was like a sock puppet. You don't say. Yeah. And he's about, and they're like, but you worship him. He's like, well, yeah, because if I worship a sock puppet, then I don't, re- I don't, uh, you know, believe anything silly like this sock puppet created the world. Wow. Yeah. It's a decoy. Yeah. <laughs> For my soul. <laughs> Oh, man. Alan Moore getting in touch with his inner Herbert Sherbert, who our protagonist yeah. described as a, a real artist. And that didn't mean that. It, did not mean that as a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. And uh, yeah. And that's kind of, you know, that's he's actually one of the guys that we're introduced to right after that. And then he sort of and I thought I felt like there was like a solid like 20 minutes, maybe even 30 in the middle where we're just kind of like bouncing from person to person. And we're not really getting them any sense of who they are. They're kind of just these little caricatures. And um, again, like the Herbert Schubert guy, he goes, he sees him, he does this weird song and it doesn't really amount to much. And then he's out. And so that, again, that was like kind of where it lost me for a little bit at times. And, but after that, uh, he goes back to meet faith at the cafe and that's where they start to sort of set the scene with the whole nature of how this, of this comedy duo and how they, end up playing into matters, which again, not 100% clear when the, uh, when all of a sudden done how that world, but I think I, <laughs> I think I have, I think I have a, uh, at least a metaphorical interpretation, whether or not it works for like the world that they've created. Right. Such um, a running theme where after well, we keep setting up a scene, talking about it and then ending it with, yeah, no idea what's going on there. <laughs> so then the next scene, <laughs> I, 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 I kind of look at this way. I look at Cronenberg films when I don't understand what's going on. I just like, you know, put my hands on my hips, shake my head and go Cronenberg. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of feel this is the same way. Just I like mean, eh, it's Alan Moore. Yeah. So for the listeners out there, because I could see where this is going to get a little, I mean, you're probably in your car right now saying what the fuck, but basically <laughs> it's just this detective dude. That's like going, looking for this cross with a rose on it that his client has hired him to find. And it's all the detective tropes that you could, you know, uh, He's going, meeting all these interesting characters around this weird town in England. And um, so that um, that's more or less the nuts and bolts of everything yeah. we've described so far. And he's getting help along the way. And certain people are trying to hinder him behind the scenes. It's very, very Bogart-esque. But, uh, you know, over the top of all of that is this... Uh, veneer and sheen, much like my gold teeth, that um, <laughs> is all this Alan Moore, Come you back. know, very David Lynchian weirdness and, and all these odd characters and spiritual stuff and ghosts and, you know, uh, newspapers about dead people that are interacting with our real characters and visions and so forth. Our femme fatale, we met her in a hospital, uh, Faith, that Jason's uh, setting up now uh, with a noose tie around her neck um you know she tried to hang herself through some kind of uh sexual something or other i think she was a sex worker and so um no no in in the short her and her boyfriend who's a paramedic have a game they play where he saves her from suicide oh wow he got he got diverted by an actual emergency and couldn't get to her in time before she blacked out that's that's the first short (laughs) So yeah, Context. yeah. Watching, nice. yeah. Welcome, welcome to the jungle. Yeah, um, that's a way to walk into that. <laughs> the short. I don't know, but yeah, you watch that and it's like, do I need to see more of these shorts? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. 
Yeah, that's what I mean when they're much darker than the film. I mean, the film can get got, got pretty dark a couple of times, but yeah, the shorts have, are just a whole other level. But was it like a sexual thing? Like they were getting off on that more or less? Like it was like a role playing thing yeah. that they were doing more or less? Okay. Yeah, yeah. she like dresses up and like calls the emergency line. And, and when he answers the phone, she's like, yeah, I just feel like ending it. Got it. She's, I'm, just, yeah, yeah, and so yeah, so like a role playing thing, role playing savior complex thing going on. Yeah, um, you know, she wants to be vulnerable and saved and all of that. Yeah. Okay, and, and he, then after she, then after she's handcuffed and noose, you got the noose around her and everything. Then she, her phone rings again. It's like, hey, there's an actual car accident. I can't make it. Don't don't do it yet. Don't do it yet. And she's blacking out the whole time. <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> that's heavy. Yeah, yeah, because our main character uh, around this time in the film, when they're trying to suss stuff out um, at her house, he sits on the couch and finds. Her pair, her pair of handcuffs are like under the pillow or something. He's like, "What are yeah. these?" And she was all embarrassed and throws them in the junk drawer. But uh, that, that's a nice callback to that. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Now we haven't really uh, delved into it too much, but you know, the faith character along the way is getting these hallucinations, and they kind of slow drip at first, and they start to become more prominent as the film progresses. And you know, we're seeing these all sorts of ostentation costumes and clown lawyers and. All just weird, uh, you know, images of people that are supposedly dead, right? She, like, <laughs> at first I thought it was even like a play on The Sixth Sense or something where she was saying, like, I see dead people. And then it's like, oh, no, wait, but she actually <laughs> does see dead people. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we're starting to see a little bit of those characters. And then she has, like, a, you know, we, we kind of, like, get a moment where we get to go into her dream with her and exist in that world for a little while. And yeah, it's very twin peaks from the standpoint of, you know, it's the stage and it's got the red curtains. I think the overall, you know, from the, from the vaudevillian nature of all the actors to the, uh, just the, the, the general visual aesthetic and the color palettes, very reminiscent of twin peaks. I'm certain that was intentional. Um, from a probably from a directorial standpoint, because Alan Moore. Yeah, because the lighting was very stark anyone. too, and that reminded me of Twin Peaks. That it wasn't moody or or anything like it was very spotlighty and harsh. You know, um, bright white daylight. Uh, you know, that could have been done very much more subtle, but uh, but it was not. And and that that uh, the lighting alone uh, reminded me of Twin Peaks. Yeah, and then you know, and and one thing also that I would have liked to have seen is you know even you know an hour into it or such that we're now like well over halfway, uh you know it's still just he's still kind of just looking for this golden cross and we still don't really know what the golden cross is and we once we learn a little bit later you know it's actually pretty engaging but I think again it was really the middle of the film that lost me and it was a couple of things and it did kind of get me back at the end but when it lost me it was again because like we were just jumping from character to character and they were all kind of caricatures of people they weren't really flushed out a little bit so it's just kind of like okay you know like even when he goes to the bar that bird and bottle place and then there's the the woman who's like some sort of drug lord or they talk about oh, yeah, she's like yeah. got voodoo powers or something and 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 again we just never see her again and I feel like you could have cut that scene and it wouldn't we wouldn't have lost anything and so it was just like these little moments that started like it was like there was no like big knockout punch that lost me right but it's like those slow jabs where it's like, oh, there's a little something here. It's like, oh, there's a little something here that added up. It's like, eh, I would have liked to have seen these things handled a little bit better, you know? It's um, tough, too, because, like, uh, on one hand, none of these people really matter to the 
you know, to the plot or, or to our, our protagonist journey, so to speak. But on the other hand, you start cutting out the drug dealer, you cut out our Becky character, um, you know, you start making these cuts here and there, and then you're left with a very small film. And, and you could tell, like, they didn't really have a lot uh, other than it's a character film. So, you know, sometimes that works, like our Tim and Tim detective couple, and uh, other times it doesn't, like this drug dealer, the Becky character. But, uh, you know, I think that these characters, you know, weren't necessarily terrible characters. I just think that they should have been tied back to the, to have a little bit more to do with the plot, you know? Uh, so I had a reason to give a shit about them. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. The way they're written right now, they kind of feel like filler characters. Right. And honestly, yeah. I don't even know that you needed filler characters. Just cut a half hour out of your damn movie. It's fine. Yeah. But it's kind of just that all this movie is, is him dealing with going around and dealing with interesting characters for the most part. when you really break it down. So, you know, the more characters, the better, but you just, you need to justify their existence. That's all. That, I yeah. Think I that, mean, yes and you know. no. If, if you're justified, sure, to your point. But also just like, I mean, so I felt the same way recently about like licorice pizza, for example. When, did you catch that one yet or no? I hadn't seen it yet. Yeah. No. Yeah. So like Bradley Cooper's character. Yeah. Like yeah. That. Like people talk about, you know, it's like, oh, Tom Waits and Bradley Cooper and all the, and it's like. Look, in a vacuum, like, I love those guys, but in this movie, they don't really, like, have a reason for existing, you know? Like, and I felt the same way. See, I would argue that that uh, you keep the drug lord because she does actually provide a little more background on uh, Fletcher, on the, mm-hmm. the main character. Yeah. Because she's like, you know, you're, I know who you are, you're a death dealer. Right. It's like, she starts to peel that away. The one I would lose would be the, the chick with the, the two-tone hair. Okay. Like she's in Definitely. that one scene. There's another one. Like, I call her Sia because yeah. she looks like Sia. Sia. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Coke, coked <laughs> yeah. out Sia. Um, yeah. Because so, you see her there and then you see her at the bar when, yeah, towards the end of the movie. And I, I was like, okay, they're showing her again. There's got to be a payoff for that. Yeah. And there's not. Yeah. And it, it's like, why is she even in the film? Now, I do know that she is. Sia. Uh, she's. Eh, <laughs> uh, now, her name, is the, that's Monica Beardsley. So I think she's related to the main guy. I, again, oh. I don't I don't know exactly how she fits into everything, but I do know that at least. Yeah, she shares that last name. And I think uh, so. Yeah. Uh, but no, I'm with you. Like in terms of. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of characters where it was just like, I, I don't understand why. they're here. But then like even just false narratives like the the drug dealer goes into this big thing because remember like the drug dealer like i think that that could have been done like you could combine some of these characters and narrative point plot points but there was the whole thing where she had that girl that was all uh fucked up next to her on uh her a new synthetic drug that this drug dealer was proud that she oh, created the one that, like al- was, almost passes out or whatever right she's like ah, keep yeah. your mouth shut honey whatever yeah like that whole thing was extraneous. Like we didn't yeah. need to know about this yeah. synthetic drug that you were creating and what it did to these people. I thought they were giving me something that was going to, you know, that was a plant and payoff and it had something to do with something, but, uh, yeah, no, had nothing it, to do it's with a anything. Callback to the shorts. Is okay. It? What she's saying is a callback to the shorts, like the part, the curtain, uh, answer the phone. Cause in the shorts, the front desk, the phone's constantly ringing, but nobody will answer it. Okay, but, but so that's like a running thing. But so, yeah, so that's the only reason I could think it was in there. And I'm like, but so let's talk about this for a second, though, because <laughs> like, I'm really glad that these shorts exist and they and they add to the world. But you can't use that. Like, you can't use the shorts as an excuse. 
yeah. for the information. Oh, no, in no. Do you see like, what I'm saying? It, like, it's reverse yeah. engineered. If there's me. a prerequisite, you got to tell me. Like, watch yeah. these shorts. You know, here's a link, and then go see the film. It can like, add cool, to you know? it, or, and that's cool. Or even, yeah. or even don't just serve them up beforehand, right? Like, you know, old school, like, hey, here's a short film before the movie. Yeah, I watched it the first time. It's like, okay, what does she mean? Answer the phone. And then when I saw the shorts and watched them, I was like, oh, that makes sense. But why would you include that in the movie if I hadn't seen the shorts? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be interesting if, like, this was originally part of this, like, multimedia grand scheme that Alan Moore had in his head, right? And it was like, okay, so, you know, we're going to have short films, and then I'm going to release this book, right? And then after people read the book, then they're going to see the movie, and, like, you have to, like, and he's, like, trying to, and then he was, like, halfway through, like, ah, ah this is boring. This sucks. Just release the movie Move and the short on. films. I'm done. Yeah. The best magic trick he's ever done. Yeah, there's just like these loose tendrils left over of like things that were being set up that never got finished. This grand scheme. And then he says, now check your pocket. And I check my pocket. And I said, my two ninety nine is gone. He's like, <laughs> magic. I took your rental money. <laughs> Maybe that's why also the movie was two ninety nine instead of three ninety nine on Amazon. Nice tie in with the uh, Tim and Tim that they needed the two ninety nine. Uh, is that it's all an Easter egg, one giant Easter egg. Um, yeah, I, I just I, we, this came up. I have in my notes. So th- this is all kind of uh, interesting that we're talking about this because this reminds me of um, a movie that Jason and I talked about last season um, called The Endless. And um, oh, that's on my list, dude. It's it's actually way better than it has any reason to be. It is. It's surprisingly good. Yeah, and they're now doing. uh, Those guys are now doing Moon Knight uh, for Disney. So, so uh, good because on. that's that is is that the one I'm thinking about where like they go back they escape the cult and they went yes, back yes correct yes mm-hmm. okay and it's yeah. very much like this and in the sense that it's a low budget but it's way bi- better than it has any business being and, oh, and yeah. it was it feels like it cost a lot more than it did yeah yeah and then every now I and then love you, movies like it you <laughs> get those low budget actors that kind of that, that you know were just on board to help out their buddies or whatever and you, they kind of pull you out of it that movie had a lot of the same elements as this and and it succeeded in a lot of the same ways this did but it also had tiebacks to previous films they have a multiverse of their own that they've created in this oh. whole independent series of films that they made but i thought that was done more tasteful and it didn't waste my time. They gave the Easter eggs to reward the fans. Yeah. Hey, look, if you want to go watch these things previous, there's a direct tie-in to like all these previous films. Characters show up that are in other movies of theirs and all this. Kind of like, um, uh, what's his nuts? That made uh, Clerks and Dogma and shit. Uh, so, uh, Kevin, Ke- yeah, yeah, Kevin, Kevin Smith. Smith. Thanks. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, but this uh, was just a little too ham-fisted. And these things just were like... We, we stayed on these characters too long and they were giving me all this extraneous. I'm staying on this point too long. I apologize, Jason. You could move <laughs> on. Could, but yeah. uh, 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 Real quick, though, you mentioned The Endless. Uh, somebody suggested that one to me because uh, I was talking to him about uh, Midnight Special. Y'all ever seen that movie? No. No. It's, an- it's another science fiction uh, film. And it's got a uh, guy played Zod in the uh, the Superman movie. Oh, Michael Shannon. We love Michael Shannon. Oh, yeah, and he's oh, getting yeah, his yeah. kid. Oh, yeah, I know this movie. Yes. Yeah, he's getting his kid away from a cult, and it gets towards the end, like, really, like, metaphysical and, like, parallel dimension type stuff. Oh, wow. And, and what was it called? And uh, Midnight Special. Okay. Go on. But, yeah, like, like they give you an idea. There's, like, a scene where the kid's singing in the back seat, and his friend is like, what's he singing? He's like, he's singing along with the radio. It's like the radio's not on, and like Michael Shannon just reaches on, like punches the radio on, and the kids like note for note with the song that just randomly pops up on the radio. Oh wow, that's awesome! So yeah, it's yeah, it's low budget, but it's it's a it's another good one. So 
By the way, uh, how I, I just had one of those moments where I felt really old because you said the guy that played uh, General Zod in the Superman movies and originally. Oh god! I, 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 right away, I thought Terrence Stamp. No. <laughs> <laughs> the the very first movie I ever saw in theaters was the original Superman with Christopher Reeve. Oh nice. wow, that's how old I am. That's awesome. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I, I sat on my dad's lap because the guy's like, "We only got like three, no, two, two seats left, and there's three of you." And dad's like, "I'll pay for him and sit on my lap." You you <laughs> literally mined the gold that you put on my teeth yourself and the gold rush. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you got yeah. it with a pan out of the river. Oh man, I no, love my, I love your commitment to this bit, Ryan. Yeah, yeah, my, my, <laughs> yeah, my wife made me feel old. She's like, yeah, I, I loved E.T. as a kid, watching it on videos. Like, yeah, I saw it in theaters. Her first words were, how old are you, damn it? <laughs> Come out in 82. What do you... <laughs> Man. Yeah, I mean, you had us fooled. I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're, oh, yeah. we're, we're, we're not as far off as we'd like to pretend we are. So, you know. <laughs> There's some young bucks out there. We're not one of them. Yeah. <laughs> now, the other thing that I did like about the film is I thought it was, uh, I thought it did a good job of making the reveal where we learned that he's actually not a private investigator and he's actually a hitman. Uh, I will say that I definitely did not see right. that coming. Technician. Exit yeah, technician, exit. yes, as he refers. Exit technician, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and then once they also finally, so around that time, or just right before, perhaps, they also reveal exactly what's going on with this golden cross. And so both of these reveals actually really worked for me. And when I said Same. that the film kind of lost me for a minute, this is where it brought me back in. Is So he receives uh, some information from the... Everyone's favorite are two little young detectives uh, from the little dossier that explains that the um, Golden Cross is not just a family heirloom. and that he, he, he was basically just under the impression that he was collecting it for this person. No, it actually turns out that it's evidence and it's the only piece of evidence in a past murder case. Uh, and the guy was exonerated because they didn't have this piece of evidence. And so he is, in fact, the one who has hired... Steve, aka Fletcher, to go and get the Golden Cross. So again, once we learned that piece of information, we learned he's actually a hitman. I was back in, and at that point, it kind of brought me back in, and I thought they were they were nice twists that worked. And then we also, from there, start to really get into the Match Bright and Metalton, and exactly kind of where they uh, fit into everything. That's where we actually get introduced to the Alan Moore character, who, by the way. I don't think enough uh, credit is given to the inspiration that one Mac tonight most certainly gave on his hairstyle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dude, Mac- I thought that the. I'm so glad you brought that yeah. up. I thought yeah. that the entire time yeah. I was watching that. <laughs> you know, oh, Alan man. Moore was like stoned one night, like watching old McDonald's commercials on YouTube, <laughs> and was like, "Ah, oh, that would be brilliant." Also, how does he get his eyes that red? Does he just smoke a ton oh, of reefer? No, no. I actually, I actually watched a little thing on uh, on the DVD, on the DVD, like behind the scenes, and he brings that up. He's everybody's like, "How'd you get your eyes there?" Yeah. And he goes, "I'm allergic to the makeup." Oh wow! Oh yeah, makes total said, sense. So, yeah, he said, "So yeah, he's a nice little, yeah, a nice little happy accident. I'm allergic to the makeup, <laughs> so it made my eyes look that way." Wow, yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, because yeah. he's in all what silver painted makeup, almost yeah. like one of those robot men you see in Santa Monica. On the, yeah. You know, oh yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but 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 his hair and his beard are curved in the shape of like a moon, basically. Yeah. Back tonight, yes. 
<laughs> Neck tonight, yes. For the old McDonald's commercial for those young whippersnappers out there. When you meet him in the shorts, it's the opposite. He's all in gold and it's all fluffed out like the sun. Oh, oh wow. I didn't notice so, that. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why they changed it if, if it, you know, in between the two of them. But, yeah, when they first introduced him in the shorts, I'm like, is that supposed to be Frank again? Is that... Because <laughs> I was like, yeah. I suspect the whole moon, like Mac tonight thing. It's like, uh, no, no. He's <laughs> also not to belabor this point, but like Match Bright, Mac tonight, it's right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> so now Fletcher starts. Uh, you know, he's having these dreams. He 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 has his own sort of little, you know, surreal Twin Peaks thing where he walks into the bar. They serve him a glass of smoke, right? And he, and then he meets Match Bright, who gives him this really odd speech before he finally meets Mr. James Mitchum, right? His quote-unquote friend from the beginning, guy he's been looking for all along. And J- what does James do? He up and books it. Just runs the hell out of there real quick. And uh, that's when Steve chases him and we're introduced to Metalton. So Middleton is the uh, is the second of the comedy duo played by Alan Moore with the crazy hair. And so by the way, it should be mentioned all these people are are known to be dead. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So all yeah. of these people, have, I've died, I believe it was in a fire. Right. I think they died in a fire. And that yeah. was why the right. two of them went yeah, back and checked out the house and everything. Yeah. 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 Because because she uh, she Faith got the uh, address out of a dream and then the cabbie took him. He was like, yeah, it burned down in like 73. Yeah. Because I don't know why you wanted to come here. Yeah. That was our, I think that was our first teaser that there was more to this than meets the eye, so to speak. That was the first yeah. time I was like, oh, okay, so, so there's some supernatural shit going on. Yeah. And honestly, that is kind of, to Jason's point, uh, Jason, to your point, that's kind of when I, like, that was that, that brief period in the middle you're talking about that I kind of mm-hmm. checked out because, yeah. like, that was when they were like throwing these new things at me, these new concepts at me that weren't really fully fleshed out yet. And I was like, wait, what is, what is this shit? And, and the, and there's like these dead comedians and uh, it just was like too much. And then once mm-hmm. it started to like get back to the, like it tied that stuff back to the cross stuff. Then I was like, okay, now I'm back on board again. Yeah. But it just felt like we took this weird off ramp off the highway that we were on. And then now we're in this de- in dead people town and we had to like, Get get all that kind of wrapped up, and that took a minute. And then pair that with all the extraneous char- characterizations that we were talking about earlier. And I just was like, kind of coming in and out of it. And uh, but then you know, once we get about this part of the film, just like you, Jason, I was I was right back in. I was like, okay, now we're all it's all on the table. Now we're yeah. we're good to go. Moving forward. Yeah, and it may just be one of those things where you know they were trying to do the diversion, you know, get you moving this way to bring you back this way. If so, I, I would say they probably didn't do as great a job as they could have. Um, you know, that's kind of the only reason that I can think of is just these little red herrings along the way. Um, so, which brings up actually, so we are kind of actually closer to the end here uh, than we might realize. So I, I do kind of want to. Ask you a sort of high level question as it as it relates to just film in general, okay? Um, and that's the nature of the red herring as it's used by screenwriters, okay? Uh, this can be used to solid effect, I suppose, but I feel like more often than not, it just ends up kind of cheating us or giving like it's a manipulative way to move your to to get your audience to think one thing that's not really going on. And in I feel like in many instances they don't give you enough 
information to where the red herring is like a clever switch. It's more just like, oh, well, why would I have known that? You didn't give it to me. Do you guys have any opinion on this just as a general theme, conceit, et cetera, in film, or is this just a me thing? Uh, I like you done right. It, it, I really do like it, but more often than not, it, it just, like you said, it's not really a red herring. It's just, I didn't know something the characters knew. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, well, why should I have known that? Like, if, if you can go back and you can point out like, hey, here's some clues that you missed. Okay, cool. Great. I, I, even though I don't really love him as a filmmaker, I always point to like The Sixth Sense, like with Shyamalan, yeah. right? Really good job of like, you go back and you rewatch that and it's like, oh, this was all right there, right? This is this, this yeah. is that. I didn't piece it together because I didn't know it was coming. Like, hats off to you, sir. Very well done. But I feel like that's the exception to the rule. Well, yeah, well recently, I think Knives Out uh, did that pretty well, distracting you from who the actual killer was for the majority of the film. But then you can go back and sort of pick up on, oh, wait a minute. You know, it's like, why didn't I catch yeah. this before? Or, yeah. And that's, you know, that makes repeat viewings more fun and stuff like that. But this wasn't that. Maybe. No. Sometimes it, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, it, it can if it's done well where it's rewarding. But also sometimes you'll rewatch and be like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That seemed clever the first time. But now I'm going back and like. They intentionally gave me false information here. Like you start to sort of see the way that you're manipulated. And then it's like the old bait and switch. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and now I feel instead of like, it's not like I got, you know, hustled in a clever way. It's not like, you know, watching the sting or any of those movies where you're like, ah, those guys got it past me. Well done. Right. Um, Also specifically on this matter, I do want to ask you guys about one film in particular, uh, because it's the film that I've had the most debate about. And that is, the Usual Suspects. I assume both of you have seen The Usual Suspects before. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. What do you guys think about that ending? Good ending or not good ending? And why? Dude, that's a movie I haven't seen in a long time that probably yeah, deserves but... a rewatch, to be brutally honest. Um, do you, do you, you know, remember what the whole thing is? I or do, yeah. Can I... yeah, okay, yeah. The yeah. Kaiser Sose ending yeah, yeah, yeah. and all of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to say that it worked in the moment. But going back and talking about it, like we talk about movies on this show, it's kind of a piece of shit ending right like <laughs> the fact that he's just gonna look around the room and be like yeah i'm this and that and it's like uh i didn't notice and it's been uh, actually lampooned uh, i can't think of anything in, in particular but I've, i know i've seen shows like futurama or simpsons or south park or whatever like oh yeah make yeah. fun of that ending because of how like you know, it was the first time we had seen something like that and yes, they pulled the rug yeah. out and it's like, ah, you got me. The, the, <laughs> the singer got me. But uh, but yeah, like when you go back and kind of break it down, it's like and then he got this information off a coffee mug and this off a calendar and this off. The, it's like, really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm like, you know, like the, for first time viewing, it's one of those minutes you'll sit there and it, and you're like, oh, my God, how did he pull this? But going back, you're like, really? Yeah. You just kind of made all this up off the top of your head. And, right. And- I think so much of the reason why that movie works is the 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 talent, the acting, you know, the dialogue and all of yeah. that. So, yeah. you know, very much like this film, uh, you know, taking this conversation full circle and getting back to the show. Um, I uh, now that we're at the ending, I really want to. I want to hear your guys' opinion on what the fuck this movie was about. I don't know. I don't know that I care. Like it's just, it was a fun ride. I really enjoyed the film. I give it high sco- scores. Um, it sounds like Jason, you might have liked it a little less, maybe for the same reasons. But I don't know to this day what. So the cross, the guy that um, 
that Fletcher was trying to get the cross back for uh, was uh, Bleaker. Bleaker, this like yes. mob yeah. boss type gangstery dude, um, played by the same guy that played the broker in Guardi- the original Guardians of the Galaxy. I thought that was interesting because he oh, virtually yeah, yeah. virtually plays the same character uh, out for a cross this time instead of the. Uh, <laughs> Purple Infinity Stone for Ronan, but um, <laughs> he kind of reminded yeah. me of the guy from Snatch, the guy with the big glasses. Okay, oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like just, just because, like, literally every three words is an f bomb. It was actually, <laughs> I will say, admittedly, it was distracting how much. Like every other word was like. You fucking butt, fucking blah, 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 fucking blah, blah, blah. She's like, oh, my fucking butt. And I was like, like, I'm not prude, right? Like, but like, it's distracting. You guys just deliver your lines of dialogue. <laughs> like, yeah, stop right. It. Like, we it's get like, it. I get us. I get it's written, but you have to drop the c words so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it did. It instantly but, felt like a Matthew Vaughn movie. Yeah, Absolutely. it really did. At a certain point, I was like, "You guys aren't even saying anything. You're just wasting time <laughs> yeah. reading cuss words." Like it's again, like, I'm not thank God my it. daughter's in her room watching her TV <laughs> and not not hearing this old man. You know, drop you know, say say some of the stuff he's saying, yeah. especially about the shotgun. I'm going to put a shotgun up your mother's shitter. I'm like, wait, what? What? Yeah, that's yeah, that uh, intense. That's a choice. Yeah, yeah. So this guy wanted his cross back because of the evidence or whatever. Got it. Yeah. What did he have to do with the two vaudeville comedians, Alan Moore and the other dude, specifically Alan Moore? They obviously want him to join them in this afterworld place or something this is all kind of being designed or set up as a bit of a uh otherworldly cat and mouse of sorts is that sure you know and and alan moore is more or less more or less uh pulling the strings uh so to speak and kind of manipulating this scenario somehow to get him down there like but why like did he did bleaker the bleaker character that wants the cross is did, did he have something to do with the fire that that or or the downfall of their I missed something. Something went over my head to where yeah. I didn't realize what that what this vaudevillian afterlife otherworldly uh side story had to do with our main story. Like they're both cool stories, they're both cool characterizations, but what tied that in with this, other than when these people died, they joined them down there. You guys have any uh, I got a theory, but I'm going to have to pull it. back so you guys can see all the red tape on the, the wall. <laughs> and all the no, no, man. Uh, let's hear it. Get into it. Okay. Uh, from Because they, they bring up that, that uh, oh, crap, what, Metatron or Frank, whatever you want to call him, was a member of an actual, like, magical society. So I figure that's where the cross come from. But then they also talk about he... Like got in with like heroin and some like bad people and went you know barely stayed out of jail and and what I'm thinking is that Bleaker was hired by someone to kill him and he's like you know at the end he's like you're supposed to be at the party and he wasn't and so he killed everyone at the party because you know they were witnesses and he took the cross and uh, then he because uh, Faith mentioned something about the fire doors were blocked. So I think when, when Bleaker found out where they were at, he set the fire and then blocked the doors. So I think this whole thing uh, is Frank setting up to get revenge for his own murder. Mm. Okay. And Why then, didn't they tell me that? Well, no. <laughs> it, well, <laughs> or did they? I mean, it's a good kind of. But what was, I'm sorry, I think, did I miss what, what you said? Like, what was the reason he did it? Well, it's to get revenge for his own murder. No, no, like, no, no. Bleaker. but uh, like, why did Bleaker kill them or do whatever he did? Uh, I, I think somebody hired him to do it. Oh, okay, so he was a hitman? Yeah. Okay. I think it's that it was kind of 
Because uh, when, when Frank's talking to, to Fletcher, he brings it up. He's like, you're just the next domino. He's like, I got faith, like meaning like he kind of arranged what happened to her. He says to get you in. Yeah. And he says, and you're going to bring me bleaker. And and he mentions like magic and poetry. And I honestly, thinking about it, I think that's where the Carnaby character comes in because his mother's obsessed with this comedy duo. Right. And Frank drops the thing of as long as we live in pop culture, we can continue to live in people's dreams. So I think like his the you know Carnaby's mother is kind of fueling the club in a way, if that makes sense. Okay. Where she's so obsessed with them. Yeah. Got it. So yeah, that that's my thing is like Frank somehow used his magical knowledge, set up this sort of purgatory to long game play. I'm going to get revenge for my own murder. I mean, that would make sense. That aspect of it for sure. It's kind of interesting that you said that because I'm just going to throw. So for everybody listening, we're kind of at the end here, and we're just going to kind of break down some different interpretations of some shit. It might get a little, might get a little out of hand here, right? But so there was something that came to me or it consi- you know, I had considered and I have no idea if there's any merit to it whatsoever, but I'm going to throw it out there and see if, you know, there's any part of it that resonates with you, which is there's a scene where the superhero guy is looking at Bleaker and he pulls up Fletcher's picture as well. And like for a moment, I thought that the insinuation was that Fletcher was like a young bleacher. And there was some weird, like, time travel shit going on or something like that. And then you mentioned how Bleaker was a hitman. And then there was, like, so there was a connection where they're both hitmen. And so, I, I again, I don't know if that's the seeds of something that may or may not be there. I don't know why I came away with that even. Uh, but I did, for a minute, like, consider, like, is the film trying to tell me this? I, I still don't know if it was or not. Yeah, I, like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I got See, nothing. I, I kind of built my theory because of something that Fletcher says uh, where he's like, is this another Bardo? And I'm like, what is it? Is that like English slang or something? And it's actually something out of Buddhism. It's the space that a soul exists in between death and rebirth. Mm. And so I think that's what he's trying. That's like Alan Moore's way of saying, this is what the club is. Is it's like these people are trapped between yeah, it's life like a purgatory, and death. Right? It's a yeah. purgatory. Because yeah. yeah. like Frank won't let them move on. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's kind of what Match Bright was saying. It's like, yeah, there will not be another Bardo. Like, you know, this is the end for us. Like, we're not getting away. Yeah. Okay. So, so is this one of those things that I just need to be as smart as Alan Moore, probably, to, to understand? I, He's just too smart. Like, well, no. I, no, I, I think he just likes telling, I, I think he just hates telling a story in a straightforward way. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think he likes, you know, peace and people putting pieces together to come up with uh, like their own reality, I guess. But there's also just, I mean, there's the reality of, you know, first of all, there's such a thing as the complicated noir plot, right? That's a thing. Most people do not follow these plots. And quite frankly, the only reason we even got to this point is because we took an hour and a half, two hours, whatever amount of time to actually look into it, right? Like, we were very open about, like, hey, we didn't come away with that, and a lot of this is just sort of us spending that time going back trying to figure it out, right? So, you know, first and foremost, the idea that, you know, just because we don't pick up on every nuance means that everyone else does, you know, I mean, Alan Moore has all the time in the world to sit there and think of all these pieces and put them there, you know? We're not going to catch that on the first viewing. Oh, no, no. Then, on top of everything, you throw in the fact that we're taking notes because we're going to do a program on it. So, like, you know, it's a little hard to to, to keep track of every little thing that's going on. 
Um, and I, I just want to know what the little three-headed thing was in the club when Fletcher was in there. The little like cat. Yeah, they human. like walked in and walked out real yeah, quick. Yeah, like what the fuck <laughs> is this? <laughs> and I don't know. Yeah, I think that's just them having fun. Like I don't know. That feels like a. That feels sort of like a maybe like an Alan Moore flex, right? He's like, oh, by the way, I'm gonna make you guys spend thirty thousand dollars on this visual effect that has nothing to do with anything because I'm Alan Moore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure to him it means something. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right. But to no one else, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the type well. Of and stuff this is why can... I said I have to be as smart as Alan Moore because, like, I bet you if we looked into it, it's like you know, a, a metaphor for some Egyptian god and, you know, it's got the three heads and that's each head signifies something and, you know, all this symbolism and shit. But it's like, you know, uh, Jason, you we talk about this on our show all the time where it's like if it's not on the screen and you're not giving it to me and you're expecting me to like go on these deep dives and shit. Yeah. We talked about it with uh, Leos Corrects and doing Holy Motors mm-hmm. and stuff, you know, because, uh, you know, there's a lot of symbolism in that. I really enjoyed the film. And if you give the film its respect and like go online and like read all these blogs and go on Reddit, it's like, oh, and this means that and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, to the average schmo that just, you know, clicks on this shit and gives it a run through, like, Okay, so there's a three-headed cat. Cool, you know, and yeah. move it on. So then you kind of, you know, that, that's kind of a wasted effort, I guess. Or maybe it's not. Maybe I'm the asshole because maybe that that's a reward. You know, it's like, hey, yeah. here's your treat. You're like, hey, you know what? You're coming under budget. We'll get you that visual effect. And they did. And it's like, okay, there well, you go. Well, I mean, it's Good a reward job. for the viewer. Like, you know, I kind of felt that way with Holy Motors. Like, on face value, it's this visual surreal fever dream. Uh, but then on, you know, the deeper you go into it, some of this stuff means stuff or it's symbolic or resembling is you know, wife's suicide and blah, blah, blah. Okay. You know, um, I don't know, man. I, I, but I, I can say this ending didn't, uh, you know, it didn't really wrap up a lot of the loose ends for me. Honestly, didn't care. I liked it anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when, uh, me and you was talking, uh, before we started recording, it's like, I don't, to me, the, the, the question I try to answer in every episode of mine is just, was it entertaining? Sure. Like I don't go into a deep dive. Cause to me, that's, I, you know, I don't care who the what the movie is. That's the one question every yeah. every film should answer. Sure, mm-hmm. I should just be able to like go in blind, watch it, and enjoy it. Yeah, and you know, then if there's a like a deep dive into it, like this, like you know, I was doing you know like like notes on it, and looking up like some of the names because I knew Alan Moore the way he writes. And yeah, you know, there's a lot of crap there in the film to unpack, but I couldn't tell you what any of it has to do with the plot. Yeah, definitely. Now, yeah, yeah, like some of the character names and and stuff like uh, like the club's name uh, was it Fuselli's, and I'm like, what is that supposed to mean? And it's a painter whose most famous painting is called The Nightmare. Huh. So I can kind of see why he picked it, but at the same time, it's like, do I really need to know that to enjoy the movie? Do I like you said? Do I need to be as smart as Alan Moore to get this film? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now there is kind of something that I wondered if the this dream world as well like wasn't also a metaphor and there was a couple things that made, led me to believe this so at one point we have Meddleton again the Alan Moore character and it's you know when he's sitting there and he and he first meets uh, Steve and they're talking and he's kind of telling him what's going on it's when he sees the replica of the the gold cross hanging there on his uh backstage desk or whatever and so he and and alan moore is talking the Middleton character and he talks about how like the uh the information about how he stays alive in dreams right and and it's basically like the dream world is alive right and you couple that with the fact that 
they were comedians, you know, they were they were artists of their own right, just in the realm of yeah. comedy, you know. So to me, it kind of seemed like he was setting up a metaphor, as a lot of artists, you know, often do, where, you know, it's it's art and entertainment and work itself that persists through time. Right. And so I wondered if maybe it was kind of trying to give us the impression that the work this comedy duo did this art that they made together, you know, tangibly exists in some sort of time and space out there because, again, the metaphor being that, like, art never really truly disappears. And so maybe yeah. that it, that world is imprinted and it sort of exists, quote unquote, throughout time. And again, it's really just a metaphor for the fact that they did this work. And by doing that work, um, you know, again, it just it, it exists forever. And that world will exist forever because of that work that they did together. Yeah, I can see that. That's, that makes as much sense as, it, as what I rolled out with. <laughs> <laughs> right? Again, there's no, uh, I don't think there's any objective senses of what is and isn't correct. It's just interpretations. And, and honestly, that's why I do enjoy covering films like this on the program. And that's why I wanted to do this one with you specifically and, and give it a little more time because yeah, you know, I, I, I like hearing what you might think, you know, this is a metaphor for, I love hearing what individuals think about, you know, David Lynch movies and like, you know, some guy wants to geek out on, you know, what the, what, the, cause like, so I remember, for example, the Mulholland Drive DVD, first of all, is the most pretentious thing in the world because David Lynch, <laughs> David Lynch made it, one chapter, the entire movie, no chapter breaks because he thought oh that God. you should not experience it in fits and starts. It should only be experienced as one yeah. full film. And so he's not giving you chapter breaks. And it's like, dude, come on, like kind of being an asshole about this. Just because I fell asleep watching your film doesn't mean I should be punished by having to skip through and find the exact moment I did. So whatever. But it also came with this insert. And the insert had like 10 questions from David Lynch asking you like, what does this mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? And then you realize that stuff that you never even realized was a metaphor was a metaphor. So one of his questions was like, what what do you think about the red lamp on the desk? And I was like, what a red lamp on the desk? That's ridiculous. You go back and you watch it and he's like, wait. That's a metaphor? That's a thing? I thought it was just a red lamp on a desk. Yeah. You know, um, so... Yeah. Anytime, and then, you know, especially with David Lynch films, right, he never tells you what it is. So, you know, Ryan thinks it's this, and you think it's that, and I think it's this, and, none of you know, we all may be right or wrong, and I, I just very much enjoy stuff like that, personally, so. That's funny you bring that movie up, because I thought about that movie several times yeah. watching this film, just in regards to, like, the man behind Winkies or whatever. Oh, yeah, you've That's always been called. creeped out by him forever. Dude, to this day, yeah. to this day, that is the scariest costume. Instead of I've seen, I've seen BTS shots of like him just hanging out, but you know, on set in the, in full regalia, and it still makes me shit my britches. So, whatevs, man, I with the it. the contact lenses yeah, and all that. Yeah, yeah. But my point is, uh, I don't even remember. I'm terrified. <laughs> my point is, I like what was stories. I going yeah, I like stories. My point is, <laughs> like that. You know, it's one of those things where. That didn't, that showed up. And yeah, I might get something out of that. You might get something out of that. But does it make it any less or greater of a film? Um, you know, I don't think that some of the randomness of this film took away from it. No. I wish I would have understood the ending a little bit better. That's my only complaint. And I thought it was about 20 minutes too long with some extraneous characterization. But other than that, 
It's a winner. I like this one. Uh, hearing you talk about uh, metaphors in films, whenever I see somebody doing one of these deep dive analysis on like, you know, oh, there's a background statue and children of men and then I'm going to do an hour video on it on YouTube and how it changes the meaning of the film. I always think about the Roger Corman story where he talks about that. And, and he said uh, a reviewer wrote a beautiful thing on this. You know, he says like eight paragraphs on this one shot of the moon in uh, Little Shop of Horrors and what it meant in the film and how it changed it. And he said, I'm sitting there with my editor going, uh, that was that was a piece of stock footage we needed for a transition. <laughs> That's like the only reason we put it in. What is this? What movie is this guy watching? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I always think about that. Yeah, that's like, uh, what was the movie? Uh, Finding Forrester, right? Where he's like, sometimes an airplane is just a plane. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, you know, the film kind of wraps up with, you know, we've got Faith and Fletcher. They go to this bar and, you know, Bleeker ends up having his lackeys kidnap Faith. They go beat in the alley. Bang, bang, shoot him up, shoot out. We do get where our protagonist, Steve, uh, lays waste to the two baddies before uh, killing the ultimate baddie with the least likely weapon ever, a good old Dennis the Menace slingshot. That's right. He is a hitman who apparently uses a slingshot to take people down. Okay, there. Funny you said Dennis the Menace because I actually looked it up because he's, you know, he's wearing the red and, and black uh shirt throughout the film yeah. i'm like okay is, is that like a freddy krueger reference yeah you know because the red and dream world yeah, and, stuff. Yeah, totally. and no the slingshot and the red and black shirt and, and again i got this off of off of like a, a site somebody talking about the movie yeah. is dennis the menace it's the <laughs> british version of dennis the menace he wears a red and black long sleeve shirt got his hair sticking up all over, and carries a slingshot Wow. It's literally the character as an adult. Oh, wow. Somebody said, I'm like, wait, what? That's hilarious. You're telling me we're talking about dream states and, and Zen Buddhism and then a stinking children's comic strip <laughs> right? from your childhood is the main character? What, what? So what do you think? I would be curious what Dennis the Menace is, is called in Britain. I hope it's like troublesome james or something like that. <laughs> no, it's literally it's literally dennis the menace oh and, they call it right. no in a weird coincidence theirs come out the same day in papers as ours did same title completely different characters wow. it's like what a weird historic coincidence wow that i learned from cracked magazine their site so. <laughs> that's awesome it's funny, but man, yeah. all this all this multiverse, see, uh, is left over from yeah. the cutting room floor of everywhere all at once. <laughs> yeah, Dennis the Menace is a hitman. That's that's almost as as good as a uh, Kevin from Home Alone being the saw guy. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to see a, a, an emotionless British version of Mister Wilson responding, though. That would be, <laughs> dude. I kind of want to now see like Spy versus Spy, where it's uh, Kevin McAllister versus Dennis the Menace. But the British I'm, version. I'm obsessed with British versions of things. I love it. Oh, yeah. So much. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, you know, after uh, he does lay waste to the baddie with the slingshot, he uh, being the bad guy that is Mr. Uh, I always want to say the Bleakin because I'm a big Bob's Burgers fan, but it's Bleaker. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Bleaker's got this like giant BB or something that's like stuck in his eye that he, you know, was obviously killed with. And he's walking into the bar and he walks straight up to Meddleton, Mr. Moore, who's, you know, looking there with his like, ah, I got you come hither smile look with his giant red uh, eyes from the makeup. 
And he's like, no, I'm dead, blah, blah, blah. And then that's the film. It's over. And, you know, we come away knowing about half of what happened, but uh, <laughs> and having enjoyed it to various degrees of success for that reason. So so if you're, <laughs> you know, if you're listening to this show and you're like, so what? Yeah, yes. That's the <laughs> yep. deal. Yep. Yeah, that's the, that's the, that's the correct the response. Yeah. <laughs> can, can we talk about, was there a reason for him to bring in Guy Fawkes Day? It's like, yeah, we get it. You wrote V for Vendetta. There's like... <laughs> Oh, he did write V for Vendetta. Oh, what a humble brag. Yeah, I'm like, why are we? Why do we have to know it's Guy Fawkes Day? What? I guess I it's just multiverse stuff, man. It's deeper than we thought. Everybody's doing it now. What if in a similar thing, the the blue masked guy is a leftover hero from Watchmen that didn't make it in? Oh, I bet and you, yeah. it's more multiverse shaken up. He is, in fact, watching the Watchmen. There you go. That was like, it. So we just there was a whole there was a whole chapter. Up. Who watches the Watchmen? This guy. But they made me take this it guy. out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was supposed to be a novella. We were going to charge extra money for it. It didn't work out. It's a lost business opportunity. <laughs> Trou- troublesome, yeah. James. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Talking about red red herrings. There just seem like so many moments in the movie that I'm like, this is going to pay off into something. Like, yeah. uh, like I think Fletcher's. Uh, cab fare at one point is the same police code that they're saying that uh, they're going to charge faith with for like the call to, to, to save oh, wow. her from being choked. Yeah. Huh. Like, like when he's talking to the guy and he's like, here's 10. So, he's like, you know what? Make it nine sixty three Cause that's more interesting. Oh, and then in her dream, that. she's like, she's like, yeah, that's like a code. Yeah. You were charging with a code nine sixty three, And I'm like, is this going to pay off somewhere? That sucks because it should have. That would have been cool if it did. Like, you know, if you're going to throw that shit in and go the extra mile and give me those nuggets, like, Let's thread like you're just missing the common thread, you know, and, yeah. and yeah. you're this close. And so that seems almost like an intentional choice to fuck with me that you're going to like give me these yeah. little breadcrumbs, but not like and just no, nah, it's all just throwaway shit. Like none of it had anything to do with anything. It's like, fuck you then. Yeah. Like, yeah. It feels kind of <laughs> lazy, know. dude. You know, it's like, yeah, like, again, if you're if you're going to give me this, like you couldn't just spend a little more time like justifying it. And he was like, no, nah, yeah. you know, I was kind of done with it by that point. Like, right. There was a really good show films. on and, you know, the deadline was the next day anyways. What, what am I going to do? Work for free? Work extra for free? Fuck you. <laughs> and so those are the things that I would have liked to have seen pay off more in the short films that you're talking about, Wyndham, because like yeah. if there are things that are important to the narrative for me to understand the film better or the characters better, I don't think like that does a disservice to me as the viewer that it's like, oh, well, then what is this? Oh, well, you should have watched the short film. But like those those cool fun nuggets or like to do a little extra scene and then add some of that in and be like, oh, OK, like that's where the fun comes in to me. And I yeah. think that that would have been a, a ve- you know, I don't know. I, I haven't seen the short film, so maybe I need to, uh, you know, before I go speaking on it, getting on my soapbox here. Well, I mean, I, I enjoyed the film as it was, but. Like I said, watching the short films and then going back and watching it, I did catch some extra stuff. So do you think that it added to your experience? To uh, Would you I, recommend for the people at home, like, do it that way? Yeah, if you can find them, I think. Uh, I wonder if they're on YouTube. They might be. Sometimes stuff like that is, you know, or, or just yeah. on Reddit. So people have posted it or whatever, you know. I think he collected them all separate and... Uh, I can't remember what the, the title of the collection is. I did see that online, yes. Yeah. So, but uh, honestly, to me, the only ones you really need to see are the first three that follow how, faith. And then oh my god, how many are there? Five. Five. Okay. Yeah, like I said, the first three are like, like faith. Uh, you know, 
showing her how she winds up in the hospital and then, you know, her going into the club and then her meeting, uh, was Jimmy, the guy that, that, uh, that stole the cross. Mm-hmm. And then the last two are just basically what happens to him. Okay. Like what happens to his soul in there? Interesting. And God, the last one is really brutal because they give him the Egyptian judgment of the dead. Like we're going to weigh your heart against a feather. <laughs> and other, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, is, it is a brutal torture scene involving a clown and a burlesque dancer. Oh my Jeez. God. That's intense. Yeah. That's not a, that, yeah. Normally like short bonus content isn't really as substantive as all that, but it sounds like yeah, each one of them's like, like 20 to 30 minutes long. Jeez. So it's like 15 minutes of him strapped in a chair with like a mouth spreader and this clown just cheerfully like, yeah, we're going to rip your heart out. And we're going to put it on this scale. And if it weighs more than a feather, we're going to take you in this back room. This guy's going to eat you alive. Oh, wow. Jeez, that's so dark. <laughs> yeah, that's a huge tone shift yeah. from this film I just yeah. watched. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, yeah, and if I don't like you, I'll do it, eat, do it feet first. So, so your feet, feet so will you, be coming out while your head's still screaming. You watched, you watched this film, and then you watched all the short films, and then you re- went back and rewatched this film again. Yeah, to take notes. Nice. Okay. It's dedication. Yeah, it looks man. like the collection is called Showpieces. Am I yeah. doing that right? Yeah. yeah. And the torture like, scene you're talking about might be in a, something called Jimmy's yeah. End? No, Jimmy's End is him showing up at the club. It's uh, I think it's his heavy heart is the one. Okay. Oh, that yep. would, yeah. Nice little play on words. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, like I said, the first three kind of add to the story. They'll give you like a little more insight into Faith and, and her situation uh, and... Like a little more on how the the club works and and whatnot, but okay, but yeah, the last two are just all Jimmy and and like I said, they get really dark. So it looks like Act of Faith, um, the short film that uh, one of the short films was made back in 2012. Oh wow, yeah, I think most of them were shot between 2012 and 2014. So these were all done before the feature. Yeah. Okay, that I did not know. Got yeah, it. Yeah, uh, according to the. Like I so said, the, the DVD that I watched the behind-the-scenes feature and more, and uh, Mitch Jenkins said they wanted to do the shorts first as like a proof of concept. Got like, it. Like okay. A, you know, uh, his script writing, because he talked about how different it is writing a movie script from a comic book script. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having to deal with actors and all that. He says, so I want to do the shorts to prove that I could do it. And he says, then it also, like, we could take it to studios and investors and be like, this is what we want to do. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, and it is a, like there's a very big tonal shift between the shorts and uh, the feature. The feature is almost a little lighthearted in comparison. Wow, yeah, no doubt. Sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mitch is uh, uh, yeah, the, the not Alan Moore comedy guy is much meaner in the shorts. Wow. I mean, he's he's roughing Faith up when she shows up at the the club. Interesting. Man, I might go back and watch those, man. Yeah, if we could find him. Yeah, definitely. But uh, yeah, so that kind of wraps us up here for the show. And uh, we're going to go ahead and do our final two features that we do before we send off. Uh, the first is our little three adjectives feature, just like it sounds. We're going to give you three adjectives that best summarize our response to this film. Ryan, why don't you go ahead and kick us off? Well, uh, I'm... You know, sometimes we'd have these discussions and then I feel a little dumb about my adjectives, but I actually think these are spot on. I I got close to greatness um, because I do feel like there's so much to love about this. And it's just like, it's right there. If you recast this and gave it just a little bit more of a budget, this could be, you know, 
in the this could be a film we all knew about instead of a film we had to like go dig for you know it's at least that good so i thought that it was right there i also thought uh my next one is so it's confusing. Big Whoop. Want to fight about it? Because <laughs> I, <laughs> I like this film. And I think if I told any one of my friends, hey, you should watch this show, they'd be like, so what was that about? I'd be like, so it's confusing. Big Whoop. Want to fight about it? Because I like this movie a lot. Say hi to your mother uh, then, for me. <laughs> my last one is uh, Brain Feast. Because uh, I also felt like there's a lot that, you know, went, I've just, you know, I fit, this movie made me feel dumb. I thought that the, a lot went over my head. I wish that I was a smarter human being that uh, that I could, you know, upscale myself up to Alan Moore's level. But but uh, it doesn't make it any less enjoyable. I thought that, you know, the cinematography was great. The writing and dialogue were fantastic. Uh, there was a lot to love about this. And um, anyway, those are my three. How about you guys? Uh, Wyndham, what you got, man? We'll go to you next. Uh, well, first off, since... since uh uh, you know, this is my opinion. I'll go with what I say on uh, my show, uh, answering the most important question of all was it entertaining? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I was really entertained by it, but yeah, uh, going by you guys' standards, uh, my three adjectives first off, I agree with uh, you, Ryan. I got confusing as one of mine, uh, because it, it is, it is one of those that you kind of have to piece together what's going on from clues that aren't part of the narrative. You know, like like paying attention to to the throwaway lines and stuff like that. So, yeah, it can throw you off towards the end. I went with showy because it's Alan Moore and a lot of it and a lot of the information, like I said, when I was doing research on the names and stuff, just seems like him showing off. Yeah. Like, you know, how smart I am, how clever I am. Right. You know, like, like you said, he's almost wanting the audience to come up to his level. Yeah. Instead of just sitting there and enjoying it, but but uh, my final one, I just went with it's a fun movie because mm-hmm. I it did, I really enjoyed it. I did like the characters. I know we talked about some of them weren't necessary, but you know I, I still liked them. You know, it's like even if they weren't necessary, I did find them entertaining when they were on the screen. Yeah, uh, and and uh, and yeah, just the whole whole film, like you said, like uh, I said, it hooked me from the get go, and I was just there for the ride, and it's like. Yeah, maybe I don't know what's going on. Maybe I didn't get uh, get all of the story, but uh, it was enjoyable. It's enjoyable enough. I've watched it twice, and I'll probably go back and watch it again in the future. Nice. So, yeah, that's my three. Nice. Yeah. So uh, funny. I uh, also share one with you, which is confusing. And yeah, just openly, you know, <laughs> like I, I I think I'm a pretty smart guy, and this is just not something that uh, I could follow along with right up on the gate. I mean, even again, even after I was talking about it for two hours, none of us knows what the hell the superhero guy is. We don't even have a running theory. We're just like, meh, don't need to know. Eh, it'll work itself out. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's Batman without the, he's Batman with the money, but without the uh, physical prowess. That's what <laughs> I guess, man. And uh, the second one is bizarre. And I don't necessarily say that as a bad thing. I mean, I love bizarre nah. films, right? Uh, but just, you got to know between, you know, the lighting and a lot of the concepts that's going on here. Um, you know, it, it's definitely a little bit out there. And uh, also I have plotting, you know, I thought, I thought I just kind of plotted along through the, the specifically through the second act. Um, I would, especially, you know, as it came off so strong, like it was such a weird and maybe even, maybe even inconsistent might be a better word just because it, it shot out so strong and then just really slowed down as the film progressed, you know, it was almost like a, a progressive slowdown. And then even by the end, it doesn't really ramp back up. I mean, you get some of those, you know, action scenes, but they're just kind of throwaways. So, 
Um, but yeah, you know, all that to say that uh, I, I did enjoy it. You know, don't get me wrong, but um, I have a feeling that uh, my score might be a little bit lower than you guys. So let's go ahead and formalize this. Uh, Wyndham, I told you at the top of the show that uh, I do star ratings and Ryan does grade ratings. I'm going to let you start. However, you can also cho- you can choose one of those two or you can go with your own special rating system. What you got for us? Uh, I'm going to go with stars because that's, that's usually what I do when I talk about it. And I got to give it a four star. Um, I mean, I know it's confusing. I know it's, uh, you, know, you know, like you said, it kind of plods along in, in some parts. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, when I rate something with stars, it's like three's average, but four is I'll watch it again. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it that much. I like so that. I, yeah, I got to give it a four star. You know, and five star movies to me are the ones that I've watched so much that I don't need an excuse to watch them. Like the the Blues Brothers, that's a five star <laughs> film to me. But yeah, I give this in a solid four. I enjoyed it. I'll I'll watch it again and try to figure it out again at some point. I'll inflict it on my friends. That's the kind of movie that it is. You, know, you, you maybe watch Naked Lunch. Hey, I got one for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so yeah, I got to give it a four out of five. Right on, Ryan. Grade rating. What you got, buddy? I'm giving this one a B minus okay. for all the same reasons uh, Wyndham said. I thought that, uh, you know, look, dude, you could shoot holes in this movie all day long. This this movie was kind of like a, it's kind of like a Tesla, right? Where like, yeah. you know, you could come at me and be like, hey, you know, in the cold weather, your doors don't open. It's like, yeah, <laughs> I know. It's like, do you hear th- 30 of them blew up Thursday? It's like, yeah, I heard that too. Still want one. Fuck off, you know? <laughs> cool. And this movie, you could shoot holes in it. It's what about this? What about that? I was like, I know. Still cool movie. Don't care. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Tesla of movies. Right on, dude. Right on. So, uh, yeah, for me, um, I'm going to give this one three and a quarter out of five stars. Uh, like I said, it was it was it was a it was a good movie. I did enjoy it. Uh, definitely enjoyed it a little bit more than just OK, which is why I gave it that little extra quarter star there. Um, but, yeah, you know, it didn't. And, and the interesting thing about this one is that I could actually see myself raising that score on like a second rewatch. I think that this is a movie that maybe plays at least for someone like me, would probably play better knowing what exactly what I was in for. Because here's the thing, is that this film strikes a balance of being batshit crazy, but also not, right? Like, there's definitely yeah. heavy, heavy moments of it. But then once you kind of remove those moments, it's kind of, like we said, it's playing with this sort of noir setup. And so I thought this was going to be just like a you know, nonstop barrage of crazy the whole time and this and that. And and in certain ways it was, and in certain ways it wasn't, I think knowing that, you know, knowing what I was in store for, uh, going back, you know, might get a little bit closer to your guys' score, but first time through, that's what I'm coming away with. It's a metaphor for life. It starts out really fast and choppy. Like we're young. And then the longer it goes on, it slows down till it dies. (laughs) Ah, see, I like it. There's our, there's our serious film moment. There you go. Yeah. Now I feel like I got to bump up my score another quarter star already. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man. So, but yeah, really glad you brought this one to our attention, man. This is, like I said, this film is right up our alley. You know, even even when I have films that I don't love as much as I hope, I'm always still really glad to enjoy them, to have an opinion on them. There are, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, there's definitely things that I'm going to come away with, like the, um, especially just everything with the whole, all of the the circus and the metal tin stuff like in the match bride and the, all the twin peaks kind of stuff that we talked about, like all that surreal zaniness. Like I'm here for that for sure. Still enjoyable. Um, before we go, did Alan, go did Alan Moore do uh, American gods? 
No, that was Neil Gaiman. No, that's Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Neil Gaiman. Okay, never yeah. mind then. Thank He's you. He's like happy Alan Moore. <laughs> also much wirier, but you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, before we go, Wyndham, again, if you could go ahead and just uh, uh, remind people of your show and where they can find it. Okay. Uh, you can uh, I do celluloid fever dream. But before I do that, I just want to like, like just bring it up. Like this is the kind of movie I started doing my podcast for. Cause it's one I watch and it's like, why aren't more people talking about this? Like this has like everything to be a cult movie, yeah. like one that people talk about and watch again and catch and analyze. So yeah, when I come across it, like, Oh, I have to do this. Film. <laughs> glad you but, did. Uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm glad I did it with you guys. I really enjoyed myself. I want to get that out of the way. Awesome, too. Uh, yeah. We had a lot of fun uh, with you here. But uh, yeah, it's uh, called Celluloid Fever Dreams. Uh, we come out every we, like it's me. It's me and a, a rabbit in a room. It's <laughs> uh, my daughter's pet rabbit in a cage. <laughs> and he'll watch the films, but he won't talk about them for some reason. Ah, just like a rabbit. Uh, D- despite all his rage. Yeah. He's still just, <laughs> still a, just rabbit a rabbit in a cage. cage. <laughs> but uh, it's, a, yeah, it's a Celluloid Fever Dreams. We uh, come out every Thursday and uh, we just dive into the uh, cinematic history and, and try to find the overlooked and underappreciated films and, and uh, recommend them trying to answer the biggest question of all. Was it, inter- was it entertaining? Uh, and you can find us like I said, on Apple podcasts. Uh, you can find us on uh, good pods and, and uh, Google and Spotify, just about, just about everywhere uh, podcasts are. You can find us. Uh, if you want to keep up with me though, uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, C fever dreams. Uh, I'm on Letterbox. I can you can actually follow me on Letterbox and see what other crazy films I watch. Uh, just under Wyndham Jennings. Uh, and uh, what else have I got? Oh, I got a TikTok that I occasionally post videos to. Uh, <laughs> stuff that doesn't feature doesn't need to like a full episode, like crazy head cannons and stuff. Uh, and it's a uh, celluloid fever dreams. Nice man. So that's all. That's all the places you can find me. Awesome. Excellent. Well, yeah, like I said, man, really ha- enjoyed having you on here. Um, I'm sure that we're going to find plenty of other opportunities to get you back over here once we start this season proper. Okay. Yeah, any Anytime, awesome. anytime. Well, yeah, absolutely, man. So uh, once again, everybody, this has been the show. You can find it on uh, Amazon Prime. It's on uh, physical media as well. A bunch of other spots out there. Really appreciate you hanging out with us. We will be back. Uh, I don't know. We're, we're going to be back for season three soon. We haven't announced it yet, but uh date should be coming anytime <laughs> soon. So we're working on the episodes already if we don't have them all chalked up for you. So stay tuned. We will be back. And in the meantime, just keep enjoying all of this wonderful bonus content. We make it for you. We will see you next time on Esoterica Cinema.